two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not limited to talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of they are divided For equal, sequel, hate, and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive A big thank you to Anspiriority Complex For providing our theme song It is January 16th, 2020 My name is Zach Weber And I am joined by The Bard of Vader Yes, I'm back, and I, I want it to be on record. I think, what was it, sometime in November, I was on with Zach and Zanger discussing uh, Terminator Dark Fate and Dr. Sleep to some extent, and I believe at the end of that episode, I said, okay, Zach, you're not going to see me for a while because I want nothing to do with episode nine. We discussed a few weeks ago how, of course, uh, he got me back for episode nine and the situations that led to that, but then he knew. He knew the only other way to get me back to talk about Star Wars and this darn sequel era was Colin Madman Trevorrow. So you you played things so well, Zach. It all happened. It just fell right into our laps. And I have to say, I'm quite excited to discuss the Madman once again. Oh, yes, folks. Um, I think as we all know that uh, for, for months now, I've been saying that I would literally chop off my left arm to read <laughs> Colin Madman Trevorrow's episode nine script. I think I and, even said I would want to read it at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, like, again, it was one of those ideas. It's like, oh, this man's insane. Like, he shouldn't be allowed near, like, a pen and paper. Uh, yeah. as, a, as a director, I think he's adequate. I think that's the kindest way to put it. But as we've talked about him numerous times on Cinemates, is that as a writer, him and his writing partner, Derek Connolly, who are I'm pretty sure they're joined at the hip. Everything they've ever done, they do together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, what's what's the nicest way to put this? I'd say uh, I'd say hack, but I think that's too generous. Uh, yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure the right term to use it. I, I guess the best way I would describe it is that nothing he writes gels with the audience or with itself it's all very incoherent and not cohesive and it's very strange it's a it's like i've said many times before it's almost like a train wreck you can't turn away from except the fact that jurassic world made 1.6 billion dollars well uh we all know that's because it was of brand loyalty and nostalgia <laughs> sure but it's still the whole idea that and i think we okay because i think i want rob a little bit to explain the like our history with Colin Madman Trevorrow because he he may okay I give a little bit of a history on Colin Madman Trevorrow and try to keep it as brief as possible is that his first film was Safety Not Guaranteed starring Aubrey Plaza and for in preparation for this discussion I actually watched it today just so I, I at this point I've seen every film he's ever directed. Um, it's it's a horrible, shameful title, much like I gave Rob the title of J.J. Abrams expert. <laughs> I think I'm slowly falling into the trap of being a Colin Madman Trevorrow expert. Um, truly the most heinous of titles. Like It's one of those ones you can't give to anybody else. It's kind of like the Harry Potter equivalent of a Horcrux. It splits your soul when you become an expert on one of these hack filmmakers. Um, but 
I had to watch it. And after that, he does Jurassic World, which, like we said, grows on, which goes on to gross a ton of money. And then he follows that up with the Book of Hank. Oh, yep. And that's where uh, Zach introduced me to Colin Trevorrow, at, at least the knowledge of him, because prior to Book of Hank, I hadn't seen Jurassic World, and I saw Safety guarantee, Not Guaranteed years prior. Um, really, when I wasn't into you know the the detail of movies as I am now, it's one of those things where like you tell people about the Book of Henry, and they I remember when that came out about two and a half years ago, nobody kind of believed the stories and the reviews of it. They're like, oh, it's about a little kid and his brother and Naomi Watts their mother. It's like, how bad can it be? And then you watch it and you're like, oh. Oh, <laughs> Naomi Watts has a military-grade sniper rifle and she's going to try to assassinate the police commissioner as a way of fulfilling her dead son's last wish. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, oh, we hire this guy to direct Star Wars Episode Nine. That's, that again, insane. Like, in, and it's kind of like, we... It's always been the official reason as to why he got let go from episode nine was for the creative differences. Yeah. But based on what we've been reading for the last couple of days, I I firmly believe that. But at the same time, we can't just simply look at this like in a vacuum because the a part of this story that we're going to dissect, because there's a lot of information to kind of delve through here. So you have to follow closely is that his script that we have access to was dated a week before the death of Carrie Fisher. So we're talking December, 2016 and he wasn't let go from episode nine until September, 2017. So that's nine months of, we have no idea what happened. And it's fascinating because the thing I've always assumed when it came to him, episode nine was that Carrie Fisher died. And obviously he had to do a massive rewrite, essentially a page one rewrite, and he couldn't handle it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's a story I've always heard and believed. That that makes sense. Of course, you know, I think we touched on last time I was here on Knights of Vader, you know, the, the movie was, you know, almost inherently damaged in some way by her passing. Um, I do want to say, though, I think creative differences – Anybody who's seen the book of Henry instantly has creative differences with Colin Trevorrow, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that's so kind of odd about all this is that when it comes to him, oh God, that's the thing about that. I don't want to delve too far into his other films. I think everybody, everybody who's listening to this, I would imagine seen Jurassic world. Yes. And, and whether you like that or not, you know, it was, it wasn't very, um, at least from what I remember, the one time I saw it, it wasn't very plot-driven. It is more of a spectacle-type movie. It is working on that nostalgia pretty hard. Um, I am interested, though, to hear what you thought about Safety Not Guaranteed, because even though I've seen it, I don't really remember it. I remember it being okay, not like I didn't love it. I loved the the concept more than I loved the actual film. But what is it, like Aubrey Plaza's The Reporter, who goes to check out the guy who posted the confidential ad for the time travel. She like gets in with him. He finds out she's a reporter, gets mad at her. And then they make up at the end. Well, okay. I don't want to give away the ending. Cause that's a, that's a big thing of the movie. Um, as I watched it today, I kind of, I, I didn't go into it with a chip on my shoulder. And one thing I do want, again, a little, uh, we'll get back to safety, not guaranteed, but 
in the, since the last time, it's the first time we've recorded since we got this very nasty <laughs> iTunes review. And Rob, Rob knows where I'm going with this. Anybody who's a member of the Knights of Vader Facebook group or uh, any of our social media knows about this. But we got a, a well, not really we, more I got a horrible, nasty iTunes review basically saying that all I do on this podcast is whine and complain. And I, I get first, I had a bunch of emotions about this. Uh, it's from somebody named Dillyweed. And I just want to point out that Mr. Dillyweed is clearly an imbecile. I think that's I'm, the nicest way I'm to put it. I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's Dillywood because I thought that oh, was the it? location they were from, and I Googled it and found the video editing company in Manhattan. But you can call him Dillyweed; it fits better. <laughs> sure, whatever. Dillyweed, Dillywood. He he is a Dillyweed. Uh, the point being is that <laughs> I think a lot of people have to realize that when it, how I tackle star wars this podcast is never going to be a bunch of people just gleaming or glowing about star wars it's not going to be saying i love star wars and then rob saying i love star wars too and then zenger going insert poor joke here and russ going insert soundboard clip here took my it's, joke <laughs> yeah i know i know and I, I, we're that's not what this podcast is uh i we i we're not here to applaud the audience for having an opinion. And if you can't accept that, then clearly this isn't the show for you. And there's a multitude of podcasts out there that do nothing but just review Star Wars as in it's the perfect thing to ever happen. Uh, there's even in the, in the weeks prior to this, I've seen a lot of erroneous information about the box office for The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, at one point, I was genuinely about to jump out a window out of frustration because people just don't understand how that works. And there's so much just uh, the blind leading the blind. One prominent part of the professional Star Wars fandom was posting something erroneous. Um, if I see the phrase, I wish I could be a billion dollar failure one more time, I, I literally get chuck something at someone. <laughs> and uh, I, I was going to do an episode. This week's episode was going to be about that. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to hold off. Um, just real briefly, folks, I know everybody, well, by the time this episode goes out, it's about a week's old information. I know I'm doing a lot of tangents, but I want to get them out of the way before we delve into uh, episode nine, Colin Trevorrow. Um, Star Wars making a billion dollars does not make it a success just because something grosses. And I think that's the key difference. People don't know what the word gross means versus net. Um, anything can gross money. You can gross anything and that doesn't really mean anything it's about how much you net at the end of the day if you spend 250 million dollars on something and you only get about half of the gross that means there's not a lot of room for profit especially when you have marketing and advertising that's never publicly uh, disclosed so um, if, if you're one of those people and i don't want to say the word moron but you think oh one billion dollar gross minus 250 million dollar budget means 750 million dollar uh, profit no, it doesn't work that way. I know everybody in this audience is too smart for that, so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it just it drives me nuts that you have again, I got into an argument, not even an argument, some someone part of the professional YouTube fandom that's just again, Star Wars is so weird. There's just people now just glee, glowing about the rise of Skywalker, refuse to look at it objectively. Um, it's bizarre, but um, that's a topic for another day. But yeah, it's yeah, know, uh, your, know your math, folks. Uh, remember when you make your when you make silly uh, ignorant comments, people laugh at you at the parties you go to when you talk about the Star Wars box office. The parties that you go to in my head. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, no. Uh, to go back to safety not guaranteed. Uh, the the thing about that is, I, I went into it. And I really didn't have an opinion about it. I really, I I knew it, it's the most competent film he's ever made. 
mm-hmm. and I went into it just that. Um, I like Aubrey Plaza when she's not doing the Parks and Rec shtick of just being the annoyed, like quasi pretty girl. Um, it was nice to see her not doing that shtick entirely, and I enjoyed the film. It's about 80 minutes long, which in and of itself is, is a joy. Any movie that's not three hours is always appreciated. Um, it's cute. It has its nice little kind of whimsical aspects to it. It keeps you going. It doesn't really ever stop. It has good pacing. And it's easily Colin Madman Trevorrow's most competently made film. Like it has its problems. It's clunky. It's clunky in some places. Like there's plot points that really go nowhere. There's uh, things that are set up and never paid off. There's payoffs that really aren't set up. Um, but for the most part, I can see why, because uh, back in the early 2010s, this was a big thing for Hollywood that they'd have these big blockbuster franchises. And what they do is they pick these directors that only had about like one or two indie films under their belt, mm-hmm. uh, like Gareth Edwards, Ryan Johnson, um, J.A. Bayona. You'd pick these filmmakers that really, uh, they clearly had talent, but they were never given a project of, of a blockbuster, again, a $200 million production. And the studio basically brought them in to get the goodwill from the audience. But at the same time, they would micromanage them throughout the entire filmmaking. Mm. Um, process and that I can clearly see how Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy's wife who uh, produced the Jurassic World films would look at safety not guaranteed and be like I can work with this guy oh okay okay who was the who was the, the guy who placed the ad in safety not guaranteed was it Mark Duplass I sure okay, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't remember I, I, I remember I Audrey name, Plaza but, but okay okay yeah, I have. Uh, I don't have much interest seeing that again. If the the little the classified ad from real life was more interesting to me than the eighty minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny. Yeah, you're right. It's Mark Duplass. Yeah. Okay. It's a competently made a competently made film, and it's something I can I can't say about anything else he's ever done. Yeah, of the of the three that we have, um, and I don't think uh, what uh, he's he's on the docket for. Uh, is there anything else? The third yes. Jurassic World? Is that going to uh, be him? Oh, yeah. Oh, we're getting, I don't want to see that. <laughs> we're getting Jurassic World with a vengeance. So that's the one that we're going to go on record. I think we might already be on record, but not on Knights of Vader. There's going to be human dinosaur hybrids, right? We're calling that? I know a friend of both Cinematis and Knights of Vader, Sleepy Skunk, tweeted the Colin Madman Trevorrow, and he said, oh, He's just going to clone the island back to life. And Colin (laughs) Trevorrow liked the tweet. Everyone's like, oh, no. And dinosaurs are going to be even cheaper in this one. (laughs) Yeah, we should point out that even though he didn't direct Dinosaur Boogaloo, he he wrote that with Derek Connolly. And the script to that film is nothing short of insane. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like we have dinosaurs running around a mansion. (laughs) <laughs> the indoor raptor <laughs> yes because the, the indoor raptor is named just that because it's indoors because who else would you name a dinosaur that's indoors oh geez oh, the memories of that movie are flooding back I, I think i don't think we need to go there check yeah. out cinematities for what four hours of us yes. discussing no, it. non-flashback non-flashback <laughs> uh yeah so so i've for, and rob and i have been fascinated with colin madman trevorrow pretty much since the cinematities discussion and we should point out that uh, the book of henry was the part of the inaugural series of the Dean Norris series on Cinemodities. Oh, and oh it, yeah. it was the first movie that wasn't part of the initial sampler platter. So it does have that unique honor. 
Yes, and it's I've said it before, and I'll always say it. Book of Henry is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but I can talk about it infinitely. <laughs> yes, it's uh, yeah, it's it's something else. And like I said, there's a good possibility that in the coming months we will circle around to that for a uh, special non-Star Wars episode that we do a very specific Star Wars day of the year. Like I think I finally come to that conclusion. So unless Rob finally decides, Zach, I can't handle this movie anymore, um, <laughs> that is going to happen within the next couple of months. So uh, brace yourself, folks. It's would you say it's on par with Meet Joe Black, or is it worse? Ooh, I would think it's a little worse than Meet Joe Black, but at the same time, the Book of Henry has the great distinction of being the being the second movie in the saga of Naomi Watts stealing children. So it does have a very special place to me. First one being shut in, she steals Jacob Tremblay, and then she steals Maddie Ziegler at the end of Book of Henry. So we're still waiting on the third child she's going to kidnap. This is not a joke. This is legitimately what how those two movies end with her stealing children. Yes, uh, I just listened to the Cinematis episode, folks. I can I can confirm this. He's, <laughs> he ends that episode's discussion with that exact statement. Um, but yes, uh, getting to the rumors now, and obviously, like any good story on Knights of Vader or Cinematis, we have to provide some context for this. Basically, yesterday morning, January 15th, or maybe the night of Tuesday 14th, I didn't discover it until yesterday morning, mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe him, Robert Meyer Burnett, who's been, I could, I think I could call him an entertainment journalist, he's, he's a documentary filmmaker, uh, my first introduction to him, like, in the Hollywood world, was in Winter 2012, winter 2013, where during my uh, super insane hype for Pacific Rim, which Rob knows all about, yep. I remember seeing him on Twitter back when film Twitter was actually interesting for film nerds. It wasn't just a place for people to complain about Donald Trump, which is what all of Twitter would later become. And I remember discovering him through that, where he actually got to see Pacific Rim. Like he saw an early cut of it, I think, like in like January or February, right after like the first trailer was released. And he was like hyping it up, talking about like all these sequences in the film. And uh, again, this was back when film Twitter actually had people that would talk about like like rumors and gossip happening in the industry. Again, Rob can attest that I used to be have my finger on the pulse of so many different things. And uh, now that network has more or less uh, dissolved. So it's not, again, Twitter's nowhere near as fun as it used to be. And then um, I would later go on to connect the dots with Robert Meyer Burnett that uh, if, if any of you have Tron on DVD or Blu-ray, there's a fantastic 90-minute documentary on the making of the film. And Robert Meyer Burnett is the one who directed it. And in a connection, once again, to Cinematis, that uh, we covered the death of Superman lives, what happened. He's actually featured in that in the very beginning montage as uh, he was a documentary filmmaker on set for the behind the scenes doc for uh, Superman Returns. And he talks about how Brian Singer was the one that used to have the Polaroid of Nicolas Cage, like, like half blinking. Um, in, in the, suit the being Superman like, suit, yeah, okay. and he would go, he he tells the anecdote of Brian Singer would threaten people with that image if they didn't agree with his creative decisions. You um, want this? I, we could do this. <laughs> that, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why uh, Brian Singer's persona non grata in Hollywood. Um, if he wasn't oh. threatening somebody with a Nicolas Cage picture, he was threatening them with something else. Allegedly, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. I'm uh, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about Robert Meyer Burnett because when I first read the um. The, the summary on the R Star Wars leaks subreddit, um, I was like, Robert Burnett? Isn't that the dude who does Survivor? Oh, no, that's Mark Burnett. And I had no idea who Robert Burnett was, but I'm glad we have some connection to him. 
So I know a couple weeks ago when Rob was on for the Cinemati's discussion of the Rise of Skywalker, we talked about like the Reddit leaks for that mm-hmm. and why a lot of the film bloggers were discrediting or were basically ignoring the Reddit rumors being like, oh, they're full of it. None of this is true. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker had perfect production. Nothing went wrong. And I said that like, oh, the film bloggers are, of course, going to just try to discredit Reddit immediately because it's a threat to their own industry and jobs and livelihood. Um, And then after a while, like after this Robert Meyer Burnett story was happening, and we should say that everything that we read for this is somebody's somebody else's notes from, like Rob said, the subreddit. Um, I was going to prepare prepare for this episode by watching his two videos. And we should just say that uh, Robert Burnett does that. He he reads the script off a monitor. The problem is that it's spread out over two videos that have a combined length of four and a half hours. <laughs> and um, I, I, I always like doing my research. Maybe one day I'll go back and, and take my own notes and kind of sift through uh, certain things he says. Uh, but there wasn't enough time. Never mind. I don't have the patience to sit through somebody else's kind of rambling. And I know a lot of the uh, summaries say that's what he does. Like he'll start talking about something. He'll go off on a tangent for 15 minutes, then get back to the, uh, the, the script. Uh, so everything that we're reading is from the subreddit. So I'll link to that so you know what you're looking at. But just a heads up, but going back to the point as to why the film bloggers aren't discrediting Robert Burnett. Um, and I should just say, too, is that a bunch of the film bloggers, pretty much every film blogging site has backed this up. and ver- They claim to have verified it on their own. io9, AV Club, Slash Film, all these major film blogging sites are all verif- are claiming that they've backed all this information up and the reason why they're doing this is that robert burnett is essentially like an og film blogger he was the film blogger before there were film blogs he's kind of like chris gore in that sense that he was around long before any of these current people were were before that even that film blogging industry even existed so he really is a like a founding father of that sort of just movement so that's part of the reason why they're not ignoring him is that he is somebody credible um He's not like one of your YouTube personalities that just showed up out of nowhere in the last five, six years and claims to know everything. Um, and, and he's not a shell because for a while there, he would he was on Midnight's Edge. He'd show up on their thing a lot. And he'd talk about Star Trek because he was. He was really big into, I think, a lot of the Star Trek fan productions. So he does. He, he knows what's going on. And I believe in what he says. Um, I, ever since Pacific Rim, I always kind of drank the Kool-Aid when it came to Robert Burnett. So that's the reason why you should believe this. Or at least that's my reasoning. You can always decide whether it's true or false. I leave it up to you, the listener. Um, so with that being said, Rob, is there anything else you want to just include part of the context for this? Or should we delve into the actual uh, reading, the, the summary from the subreddit? Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, like Zach said, we will probably, or the audience of Knights of Vader will probably get to hear a little bit about Book of Henry in the future. Uh, always look forward to that. So I think we can delve into it. I'm going to kick things right off. This is what we have as the movie starts. Before there's even a crawl, we get a flashback to prequel error. It's young Anakin Skywalker riding a T-Rex on Tatooine. He gets off the T-Rex and starts to buy stocks on a payphone. And then it cuts to black, and then the crawl comes up. That's what I got from the Reddit leak, sec. <laughs> you forgot there's a point where Princess Leia 2 is in there, and she's running in high heels from the T-Rex. <laughs> she's force-pulling herself through space in high heels? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. I had to. I, I will always take the chance to make fun of the beginning of Book of Henry. <laughs> no, you, other than that, Zach, I am absolutely ready. 
fun piece of trivia, folks. Tying, I know Bryce Dallas Howard um, directed one of the episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, and I know people don't really talk about this anymore. But that scene in Jurassic World where she's running away from the T Rex in high heels, mm-hmm. it should be pointed out. Give a little peek behind the curtain into the Madman's directing style. He he told her, "Why are you wearing high heels in this scene?" And he to- and she told him, "I'm doing it regardless of what you say." And he said, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, I have I have read that, and it's always one of those things where it's like, oh, so all the people upset about that were upset for no reason. Yep, that sounds right. It's not that they're not upset for any reason. It's the fact that like the camera deliberately pans down, so like he could very easily in editing just not shown that. Sure, and he chose not to. And the reason why it actually happened was because he wasn't going to fight with her. All right, Star Wars Episode Nine. Or I'm sorry. Colin Trevorrow's Star Wars Episode Knife. Oh, God, I have a little tingle on my lips right now. He was going to title this Star Wars Episode Nine Qui Gon's Noble End. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I was reading the wrong track listing. Star Wars Episode Nine Duel of the Fates. Yeah, so I guess we have to start here. Um, I was surprised to see that as a title. One, because I think if you're a Star Wars person, you know, whether it's a hardcore fan like the Knights of Vader or a a filthy casual like me, that's already known. That's already known as the song from John Williams. And it was just weird to me, not that I'm saying titles of episodes aren't the titles of songs, but this is like kind of going the other way, it seems. Like it's something that everybody knows is a title of a song and then they're adapting it for a title. So it was a little strange. It still doesn't really sit too well with me. And it also makes no sense in the context of the leaks because there's like the whole reason why the duel of the fates is called that in episode one is that you have all these things going on. You have basically things that will happen in this film at that conclusion of or the climax of the Phantom Mess will have a got a trickle down effect to everything in Star Wars. Yeah, and what are the fates supposed to be in this story? Like yeah. light and dark? Like that we've had that. For forever in Star Wars They've always been dueling It's just as clunky of a title as The Rise of Skywalker But I'm going to give the point to, that, to The Rise of Skywalker Because at least it's not derivative Okay, okay That's I can see okay. that I know and a lot of people like Oh, sorry, go ahead. What would we have abbreviated Would it? Because, uh, you know, Rise of Skywalker We get TRS Would we have DOTF for Duel yep. of Fates? Yeah. Of the yeah. Fates? Okay. Yeah, but DOTF Okay. Yeah, I guess Got I guess it. they keep the O because I was thinking that if you left off the O, it would be DTF, and that's something very different. <laughs> it's that's like a, that's a Star a different Trek Discovery, Star- you know. That's no one abbreviates Star Wars movie. No one abbreviates Star Trek Discovery because it's inappropriate. <laughs> no. Ah, oh, jeez. All right, so this is the crawl, and we should say that like Trevorrow's draft is from December sixteenth, twenty sixteen, a week before Carrie Fisher passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the crawl quote. The iron grip of the First Order has spread to the furthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Traitorous acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. This is this is very interesting, especially the second um, chunk or uh, paragraph, I guess. The determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. 
that sounds like something we've never heard of, at least I've never heard of in Star Wars before. How would that be done? You know, that that's a little more technical technological than I think I was kind of expecting. And that that has some interest to me, for sure. Yeah, it's uh it's I think I've said it before that the opening crawl to the Rise of Skywalker is very clunky sounding. Um, it, it kind of like it's all over the place. It's like what Ray is training to face the First Order. Hasn't she been doing that the entire series? And <laughs> sure. it's like, okay, and Kylo Ren is raging at the possibility of Palpatine, and there's a secret broadcast. And then like I didn't even know about this until Russ told me the idea that the secret broadcast was actually played in Fortnite. Oh and yeah, it's like, I've and, I've heard about that. <laughs> and it's like, did they really put a plot point into a game for children? Like it's that's, uh that's it's the DLC uh, aspect, you know. Movies are not complete, you know. You got to get all this uh, ancillary stuff to get the whole story. And even if you know they say, oh, it's the it's not. That's what I've been reading at least. It's like, oh, there's nothing really to the transmission. Blah blah blah. It's really short. Well, then why not put it in the movie if it's so short, right? Yeah, yeah I, I I cannot wrap my head around the fact that uh. Like, like somebody brought up the point, I forget who it was, it might have been blank check with Griffin and David, that they think that probably was in the film at some point, and they just cut it out and they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> okay, I could totally see that. I'm just thinking of other sources to put it in, like, you know, you got to collect all the McDonald's toys, and each one has a different part of the message or something, or, you know, you got to buy a, a box of cereal or something like that. But no, that you have to, what, either play Fortnite or then watch it, like after the fact on YouTube, yeah. Like you think they could even do something a little bit clever, even maybe play over the credits or over the crawl. I mean, oh yeah, that would have been that'd be interesting. Um, I'd be wondering to see. Of course, there'd be some pushback from the studio on like, can we expect our audience to be able to read and listen at the same time? But to be fair, every Star Wars movie, the crawl goes on for like, what, 30 seconds when you can't read any of it, right? Before it gets to all stars. So that would have been perfect time. Well, yeah, because they even did this thing back in, uh, for the Star Wars 2008 Clone Wars movie, that over the, uh, the, the, the Warner Brothers logo, the Lucasfilm thing in the, in the, um, a long time ago in the galaxy, far, far away, they played the thing, a bunch of like clones, like kind of like, like, uh, it's like chatter, calm chatter. And oh, it, only, okay. it only lasts about like, I don't know, five maybe 10 seconds tops but something like that give give the film a little bit more of its own identity do something a little outside the box instead of yeah. putting it in a goddamn children's game yeah they could put it over the studio logos like our favorite film mortal engines <laughs> that's not out yet I know it's not out yet, but you can't deny we have to. I have to always bring up the fact that the movie starts expositing when the Universal logo appears as soon as the file begins. <laughs> you mean when the film begins, Rob? Not the file. Yeah, they're one and the same for me. <laughs> Rob doesn't the cinema. Cinematis. Knights of Vader does not condone the uh, the the watching films as a file. Watch them in your local home or multiplex um all right but getting to uh, the actual film itself this is all bullet pointed so uh rob please stop me if there's a point because i'm gonna try to rattle through a couple of these to kind of give some general construct other than just reading bullet points uh, yes. it's, it's not broken up into acts so unfortunately we can't like break this down in first act second act third act but this is how the film begins Opens at the Kuat Shipyards, Man on a Mission style. BB-8 and Rose Tico, allegedly a key character in the script, are infiltrating Kuat Moon, where First Order build their ships. Workers are oppressed. There is an orbital ring 
and Moon below it. Finn and Poe are there. No 3PO or R2. Ray arrives. The plan. Send explosives into the power shaft that delivers raw ore into the ring. Plan goes wrong. Robert Meyer Burnett loves dialogue at this moment. First Order is able to contain Blast. Admiral Vaughn says resistance tactics are pitiful. Okay, okay. Well, two things so far. One's a question. One's something to point out. Um, I know this is a Reddit post. I think with some of the other articles we might touch on later, I'm going to have more issues because they are actually published articles. Reddit posts, I'll give it to him. Uh, he does He does write, Admiral Vaughn says resistance tactics are pitiful. So <laughs> there's no second I in what the Reddit person wrote. I um, know, I know. So well, it's wait, wait until we get to the make... Wait until we get to the making Star Wars stuff. That just oh, comes across the, ra- the ramblings of, of a murderer. Yeah, he but, spells uh, a planet like in six different ways, uh, the yes. name of a planet. I do have a question, though. Is sure. an orbital ring, because it, it, it seems like as, you know, from this and some other things, I think that are other articles I've read that describe this summary to some extent, like we're doing, there's some like orbital ring to me is just like, oh, it's, you know, something like our, our planet Jupiter has where it's just, you know, gases and, and asteroids or whatever they're called. But other sources seem to say in Star Wars, this orbital ring is something that like the the first order is able to dock in like it's like it's something it's created. Uh, so is is there any like defi- definition for an orbital ring in Star Wars and why they're trying to destroy it? Well, OK. <clears throat> this is the part of, of of this that I kind of like as a Star Wars fan in that I uh, I know in the Clone Wars TV show we see we see a we see a, a ring like this. I'm gonna send it to Rob now on Facebook so he knows what I'm looking at because I found a picture of it online. Okay. And um so he'll I'll, he'll look at it while I'm talking to you. Uh Kuat has been a thing in Star Wars ancillary media forever. That's where the Empire built all the ships. That's where the Republic built their their Star Destroyers. So the idea of finally seeing the Kuat shipyards would have been a big thing. Like, wow, we're, we're finally seeing this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the idea that Kuat always... Kuat was... I don't know how to describe them. But they, they were always the place where you went to build ships. That's the reason why... Um, like uh, and the rebellion always had to rely on like Mon Calamari cruisers. Was that all the the major shipyards of the galaxy were in imperial control? I know in Star Wars Battlefront Two, the game that came out in 2017, in the marketing for that they showed a shipyard. And I remember people were getting excited, being like, "Oh, we're finally going to go to Kuat," and we didn't. I think it was Font. The planet was Fondor, and. That's the thing. It's it's a shipyard. You see you see the picture, right? Yes. And this is this is what a, it makes some sense. Like it's something that it's it's not natural. It's built and yeah. And ships can land on it and stuff like that. Is this picture you sent me from Star Wars or something, yeah. or is it no, just a, official? Okay. It's, why it's is the something. Triforce on it from Legend of Zelda? Like, is that a Star Wars I, logo? I, I don't know. I I, I who knows? It, it could be okay. something from EU. It could be something that's fan made. Um, but the whole, but the main point of this, you can see, like in the right hand of the picture, you can see the dock where the Star Destroyer is being constructed. Yes, and that's the point. Was that from what they're alluding to here, we'd be seeing our our main protagonist, and they'd be trying to blow up a portion of the ring so it would cripple their shipbuilding efforts. Ah, uh, perfect. Okay, yeah, and like like you read in the bullet point, the plan is to send the explosives. 
into the power shaft that delivers the raw ore into the ring. So not only would it cut off their, their access to materials, it would also destroy a lot of the materials that they already have in there. Perfect. Yeah. And that is one of those things where if you're a Star Wars nerd and you've read a lot of the comics, the 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 the, the, the I guess I don't think we ever went to Kuat in Clone Wars. I know it shows up. I know even in I think in one of the new canon books, Kuat is mentioned that Kylo Ren did seize all the shipyards, or the First Order mm-hmm. did. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's a Star Wars nerd thing that would be like, oh wow, or finally, like again, ninety nine point nine percent of the population that would see this movie be like, what? Kuat is that is that is that like Kuwait? It's it's no, it's it's one of those things. It's for Star Wars fans. Okay, and, sure. And that and that's something like when I first started reading this before I knew the context to it, this part of it made me kind of question its legitimacy because that seems like a, a fan fiction. Mm. Having the film open up on a Star Wars locale that we've always wanted to see before, that feels very nerdy. Sure. But something like a movie studio would not be like, do, do we need this? Like, just just having it be this holy CGI environment is very expensive just for an opening action sequence. Yeah. Um, and also this whole this this everything we discussed so far, it definitely gives me twinges of the beginning of The Last Jedi where they're dropping the bombs. It seems very similar to me where, you know, OK, we got to get explosives from point A to point B to stop the bad guys. Not not that that's, you know just uh to episode eight in this script it's common in star wars i'm sure but it definitely gave me that feeling like oh they're they're starting again with another kind of like um you know almost like a james bond set piece like the end of a mission is what we're seeing sure and that's what star wars always has been it's the idea oh, you're, okay. picking, you're picking up right in the middle of the action um that's that's why i always think the last jedi works so well it's the idea that you're picking up right where something left off mm-hmm. i think that that's what star wars 1977 is you're picking up right as something left off um, the idea of starting Star Wars fresh and new is always uh, such a foreign concept. I, I've never understood that. So that, that, like I said, as an, as an idea or a way to begin the story, that works a lot better. And you can even see they kind of took part of that for the actual Rise of Skywalker in the sense that like, we have Finn and Poe yeah. going to get the, the message from the, the guy with the horns. Yep. Or, or what's his name? Aurelio or something? I think his name is. Rob wouldn't know that. Yeah, I would not uh, know that. <laughs> all right. So going back to the Reddit leaks, um, picking up where we left off, Ray is disguised as a Tuscan Raider and is revealed to have created her own weapon, a double-bladed lightsaber hybrid of her staff in Luke's cracked saber. This may again, who knows? This is where I, I probably should be watching the actual video by Robert Meyer Burnett. But it would make no sense for a Tuscan Raider to be on a uh, an orbital ring for ship shipbuilding. Sure, makes no sense. Um, even as disguise, it makes no sense. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something else that's being misinterpreted on on the person who transcribed this, and then yeah. maybe on on Burnett's part. Anyone's guess? It doesn't make any sense to me. The bat they battle, and Poe, Finn, and Rose Ray and BB-8 steal a Star Destroyer. Eclipse class and escape. Who is they? Just the bad guys and our main characters? I would imagine, Cause, yeah. Because the, the previous order. bullet the point order. is about is about Ray, and then they go they battle, and I'm like, why would Pin Fo Pit Fo? Oh God. Poe, Finn, Rose, and Ray fight Ray. <laughs> like the the, the, the yeah, flow doesn't work there. But so yeah, I well, was I, well, it's the welcome bad. to the internet, Rob. Welcome to the internet, and, Rob. Nobody and the other spell. thing I I'm actually, this is where I was like, oh, that's interesting. I would have loved to see somebody actually fly a Star Destroyer 
because that's like it seems these things in Star Wars to me have just been they're there, they're slow, they're they're being piloted, of course, but we never really see that. We just see all the people in the command module when you know the main bad guys are talking to each other. It would I thought it would be really interesting to see like okay, you know, our main characters that have flown, you know, personal ships or you know things like that. Now they're taking this huge like beast to get away. That's pretty interesting. And it should be pointed out that it's mentioned that they're piling an Eclipse Star Destroyer. And that's another very, that's even more than Kuat. That is a big, nerdy Star Wars thing because it has a very unique bow. Okay, okay. And that's one of those ones where it's like that, that seems like, like it's weird. It's not fan service as in like the guy at the bar. Uh, in Mandalorian season five, sitting the exact same way. It's just like that's something that fans have always wanted to see is that Star Destroyer with the very specific, like, I, again, Rob, you see the picture now. How would you even describe the bow of this thing? I like, guess it, it has like, a, what, a sharp edge to it. Like, yeah. Even more so. It's like, what's that? You know, I don't know what it's got a name, but like turkeys like, have that big like neck flap that just hangs down. That's like what a, it looks like. It's like a fin. <laughs> Imagine a Star Destroyer with a fin in its bow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does have like a kind of aquatic, like whale-like shape to it with that thing. Yeah. Like it kind of cuts through the space, oddly enough. Um, yeah. Like that's another thing that feels very, very fan servicey, and not in a bad way. But it's just it's something that if you read the outside media, the books, you always knew what that was. Okay. And it's odd that that. And it's just odd that one because those are even in. I know it's mentioned in the new canon novels, but even in legends. It, the, the Eclipse Star Destroyers were infinitely more rare. So it's mm-hmm. odd the First Order would have something like that just laying around and unguarded for them to, to hijack. That's just, that's that's odd, but again, that's that's up for interpretation. Um, okay, moving on to more of the leaks. The Knife Nine, which is a ship containing the Knights of Ren, arrives at Kuat. At Saka, or at Aska, Ren kills admiral vaughn for his failure did they did they fail though because it's in the previous one it says plan goes wrong first order is able to contain blast or or is the failure that the people escaped the failures they let them escape okay okay that's why i'm assuming ships okay yeah that makes more sense because it seemed like the first order's orbital ring was not destroyed yes um i i know at one point that there's a mention of a female knight of ren and I'm guessing that's who At Aska is. Mm-hmm. I I sure. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, as an idea, I'm fine with it though. But it's never really laid out or explained in any of these leaks. Sure. Cut to Coruscant. No longer a vibrant city. The new structures are built atop the Art Deco structure of the Old Republic, occupied by the First Order. Now they have a citadel slash palace there. Citizens are scavengers. Hux is now called Chancellor and is addressing Bisk Kova, traitor who helped Resistance steal Star Destroyer. Kova is executed with a light blade guillotine. Interesting. Interesting. Seems a little more violent than things we usually see, but, you know, no more. It it definitely, that, the the execution made me think of, um, uh, 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 what's it, Count Dooku. Getting his head cut off in yes. episode three. Yes. But also feels very reminiscent of the Rise of Skywalker because the little guy with the horns helps 
Poe and Finn. Mm. And then later on, Kylo Ren throws his head on his decapitated head onto a boardroom table. Yeah, 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 you're right. Okay. Very similar. Uh, there's a reason why Madman Trevorrow and Derek Connolly got a screenwriting credit on the film. Like, you can mm. tell they pulled things from this. Um, all right. Hux and Commander Selleck have a meeting with several alien warlords owed to the a new hope imperial council scene first order has allies they are aware of ray being the last jedi council wants to know where's kylo ren he is missing hux only knows he has gone searching for something of great power cut to mustafar kylo ren is alone except for a darth maul-esque droid I don't know what that means. That, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, like what? Is, <laughs> I know you've told me, Zach, that Darth Maul at one point gets robot legs, but what else? Like, would make a droid Darth Maul esque, right? Yeah, I have I have no idea what that means. Not Darth Maul legs, like like or esque droid as in legs, just a Darth Maul esque droid. So, can we assume that it's a droid with horns on its head? <laughs> Okay. Right? That's, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, maybe it has a bunch of red and black tattoos and horns on its head. Uh, but yeah, there, there's nothing like... When you say Darth Maul, I just think of the character. I don't think of any, you know, like, uh, generalizing features. Yeah, and from what I can remember, Darth Maul never had a droid. So it's not even like it's something that, like, oh, maybe it's another uh, wing. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. I, yeah, Darth Maul was always... Except for his brother during the Clone Wars, he was always a loner, more or less. Um... Okay, Kylo Ren has stubble, indicating search has been for a long time. Ren is being haunted by Luke's Force Ghost. Okay, I, I, this this makes me laugh so hard. Because yeah, haunted yeah. is in all caps. <laughs> I, I just like the idea of just like I know that's a that's a weird thing too about this. Like I know that's a joke now. Ever since Robot Chicken, the idea of the Force Ghost haunting the living. Mm-hmm. In Star Wars, being like, well, like I think, yeah, it, it's it's. In, I know it's in Star Wars detours where there's even a, like a scene where it's like, oh, he wants talking to Qui Gon. Go bother Yoda. Go see what Yoda's doing. And I just like the idea of Luke <laughs> just constantly like being a titsy fly around Kylo Ren. Um, again, that that again, the idea of ha- saying haunted means that Luke is a constant presence, mm. and I think that kind of diminishes the point of a Force ghost. Yeah, because it's it's. It seems like, at least my knowledge is that force ghosts only appear to people, you know, when it's in some uh, time of, you know, introspection or great need or something like that. When this person writes haunted in all caps, I'm just thinking of Mark Hamill, you know, like uh, doing the Joker voice from Batman. He's like, woo, and he's like <laughs> just annoying Kylo Ren to some extent. Yeah, as a haha concept, it's funny, though, but I don't I don't. Get it as a, a practical one. But again, who knows? Um, and there's some dialogue here. Luke, this is where the dark path leads. An empty tomb. Kylo Ren, where did your path lead? And then moving on, Luke is trying to convince him to go back to Leia. Kylo, I'm going to be more powerful than any Jedi, even you. Clearly a nod to Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. In Vader's temple, Kylo finds a Sith holocron, which reveals a hologram of Palpatine. The recording is for Darth Vader. Palpatine has a contingency for Vader if Luke kills him. Vader is to take Luke to Remicor system to see Tor Valum, master of Sith slash Palpatine's teacher. So this this was interesting to me because, as we said already, this leak is supposedly from a script dated December of 2016. 
I I remember, I think, you know, leading up to the rise of Skywalker, weren't we talking, or maybe you and Knights of Vader were talking a lot about how Kylo Ren had to find the, the holocron. And then eventually that word got scrapped for Wayfinder. And so I'm guessing this is where that first kind of leak or the, that word came from, um, because it is holocron and wayfinder definitely have different, you know, uh, connotations when you say the words or read the words. Um, but it's both still a MacGuffin. So, you know, that, that kind of carry over from this to the actual film we got. Well, that's the weird thing that I still can't figure out why they decide to use the term wayfinder other than the description is literally in the word. Mm-hmm. Is because in Star Wars lore, a holocron, holocron could be used as a as a way to find things. If you're able to unlock it, which there's no reason why a, char- a character can't unlock it, all you gotta do is just write that into the script. Mm-hmm. A holocron can do a lot more than a wayfinder can, or at least according to my understanding of Star Wars wayfinders. Um, but it doesn't have that easy just. Oh, I'm looking. I, I, I you can't have a line of dialogue of Ray saying, "I need the wayfinder." If you yeah. say holocron, it has more baggage. Okay, okay, sure. So Again, it's a little way to distance, you know, It that makes it less idea. nerdy. It, make, yeah, it makes yeah. the e- ease of access to the, the world is a little bit easier with Wayfinder as opposed to holocron. But at the same time, though, they sell holocrons for, I think, $50 a piece at Galaxy's Edge. And, and at that same logic, and why not just rename them Wayfinders? You have a Jedi Wayfinder. You have a Sith Wayfinder at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. If it really is that hard of a thing they think for normies to grasp, then why not do that from the very beginning? Like, that's sure. the weird thing. There's a lot of inconsistencies across the board with the, what the market research tells them to do. And it's, again, I, I could spend all day trying to figure out what Disney's doing. Um, but no, the idea of him finding a, a holocron that tells him to go to another big bad of the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. and one that doesn't really exist in any prior form in any okay. other previous form of star wars media is probably my biggest complaint with this as as a story um i will i will definitely get more into that once we've finished reading all this but that's kind of my biggest complaint is the idea that we're introducing another big bad and it, it goes to show just how smart it was for palpatine to come back for episode nine Never mind my own personal belief being that that was the plan all along. Again, insert chapter 35 aftermath Empire's End thing here. Um, at this point, I'm going to have that like passage tattooed on my forehead. I cite it so often. Um, but yeah, I, I think the idea of introducing another bad guy and just in, in order to give it gravitas, mm-hmm. you say, oh, he taught Palpatine everything he knows. Like That, that feels, once again, of, of your just talking your way into making somebody powerful yeah yeah you never you never see them be powerful you just tell them oh he has to be powerful he taught palpatine everything he knows well it's like okay look what happened to palpatine so clearly he didn't teach him every teach him everything that makes sense um but again i'll I'll delve into that later on all right so uh after that we have after scanning kylo the holocron explodes and releases red lightning which burns kylo who screams this is this is where it really started to get a give me a sense of Colin Madman Trevaro, where you know once you once you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. Why why would this explode or scan Kylo after the message has been shown? 
Wouldn't there be a security mission, check mission first? No, you know what it is. It, he, I would imagine he's trying to do something Mission Impossible esque. Like this, but once this message yeah, it is didn't, read, it, it didn't make sense in Mission Impossible either. I <laughs> and I, so I, that, that's why I'm saying it's it's perfect Trevorrow Madman territory. Yeah, yeah, like I said that's fine. They want they want like the weird thing is he's already been maimed at this point. He's already been maimed once in the series. I don't know. I know later on apparently he's so badly maimed he needs to wear a different mask. Yes. Um, but yeah, if they want to maim him again, I don't get why. You're just kind of, you've done the, you've done it once before. Why are you doing it again? But so be it. Um, all right, cut to resistance base on Core Alaf. Leia is introduced as she feels what's happening to Ben, Chewbacca, and Lieutenant Connix, Billy Lord, tell Leia that the Kuat team is back. They're shocked to see a Star Destroyer, which has landed onto the planet. Funny moment with Ray using mind trick on First Order officers who are still on the ship. Okay, well, that, that would have been cute. Oh, um, and that makes sense, adding to, you know, how would the few of them be able to pilot it, this big mm-hmm. thing, they would have this mind trick. Okay, okay, I get, get behind that. Um, Ray confides in Finn that she doesn't feel like she has what it takes to be a Jedi and can't live up to everyone's expectations. Finn asks her if she still senses Kylo. Ray confesses she's been having nightmares. Finn asks if it's Kylo. Ray says she can't explain their connection. Finn, you have to shut him out. You, he can't change. It's too late. Ray, it's never too late to change. You taught me that, Finn. Uh, yeah, this is some more Trevorrow dialogue. I thought, you know, like one character says something, other character says other thing, and it's supposed to be meaningful <laughs> in some way. And it's like we get, we get. There's some disagreements going on. Okay, we get that she's having issue after you know the events of the last two films. We don't need it hammered in this hard. I think. Well, that's the thing that I know a lot of people complained about, even the Rise of Skywalker. And there's a lot of the Rise of Skywalker in this sequence, the idea of them landing on the base after the first like action sequence. And they're all talking about just how they're going to handle things going forward. Mm-hmm. It plays very similarly to that. Yes. Um, but the thing, though, a lot of people were attacking the Rise of Skywalker for the fact that the film repeats things so many times. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't see that as a problem, though. Because there is the rule of threes when it comes to filmmaking. If you want to get a point across to your audience, you got to reinforce it at least three times. You got to, you got to, oh God, initiate it once. Then you got to figure out ways to do it to kind of bolster that. And yes, you have to be creative. You can't just repeat the same thing over and over again. It's, it's a notion of show, not tell. Film is a visual medium. Yes. Uh, and, and I do think that The Rise of Skywalker does, does all that very clunkily. Clunkily. But I don't forsake it for that reason. Okay, yeah. When when you were describing the rule of threes, you know, and you have to mix it up a little bit, unless it's for a toy spot where you have three characters in consecutive order, no lines of dialogue in between go, they fly now, they fly now, they fly now. And it's like, do you get it, kids? Buy this toy. <laughs> and they did make that toy, Rob. You can buy the uh, the tread speeder at your local Target for the low, low price of nineteen ninety nine. Oh, you know I'm doing that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So as this continues, the resistance realizes that the Star Destroyer still has most of its weapons, tanks, ties, etc. Only missing piece is an armor to use it. An army, excuse me. Ray researching the Jedi text from Octo discovers that the Coruscant Jedi Temple is a communication system called a Force Beacon. From the old republic that can send a signal to 50 planets. They plan on using it to get allies. First order can't stop it since it predates imperial technology. 
Ray, hope is all we have left. Clearly a nod to Rogue One. Just the idea of having a, a communications tower. And yep. also, the part that's odd is that they say that, oh, it's Old Republic tech? Mm-hmm. In Revenge of the Sith, we have the scene of Obi-Wan and Yoda in the thing, and Obi-Wan goes, I've reset the message to, to tell all surviving Jedi to stay away. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. So that's weird that we're, we're calling back to something that we've never, we're establishing it by calling back to something that's never happened before, yet we clearly have precedent. Yeah, okay. And and it goes back to what we were saying about the crawl for the, from these leaks, that the communication's been cut off somehow, but this is some way for them to get around the First Order stuff. Once again, it's pretty interesting. Um, this this was one of the things where it gave me the hint of, oh my, I would really love to read the actual script, because I'm v- highly interested to know if the script says exactly 50 planets, because that seems like a very specific thing. Yeah, that's yeah. I I doubt that, but it could. Because remember, it's also a screenplay. You can change things. It's probably yeah. just there as a, a stage direction. Um, again, I don't for I don't forsake them for that. This also ties into um where I remember uh, episode eight, the last Jedi leaving off, where they're like, we have diminished forces. We need to get a message out to people. This this kind of follows that thread exactly. Whether or not the first order is blocking communications, this is still a way to be like, hey, we need to reach a lot of people all at one time. Well, that's the weird thing, though, about this. And again, we don't know entirely, but the idea, like, from the ending of The Last Jedi with the kids sitting there, watch, uh, playing with their own little, like, makeshift Luke Skywalker action figure, and you have the, the brushes as the walkers, the idea is that with Luke's sacrifice at the end of the film, it's the idea that every, that message spread all throughout the galaxy. The galaxy, like, and they even say that in The Last Jedi, the, the woman with the pronounced nose, I forget her Star Wars name, goes, they've heard us. And then Leia goes, the galaxy has lost its hope. And that's the thing, is that Luke's, Luke is the spark. That's his whole thing. He, he is the, like, like he mocks Ray early in the film for saying that, what do you think, one person going out there with a light mm. sword can, cha- can change things? And that's what it is. It's supposed to be the spark that ignites everything. And that's something that I think both this and the actual Rise of Skywalker film kind of lose track of is that the idea should be by the events of episode nine, the galaxy should be more or less united. Oh, okay. And that's why I think the whole thing with Lando in the film kind of rings hollow for me is that like, oh, Leia's message falls on deaf ears because she's been doing this her entire life. This like she's kind of like the person with the cardboard sign that says the end is nigh. Mm. Nobody, she's she's kind of like even though she's right most of the time, she's the boy who cried wolf. And then Luke's thing is supposed to be the rallying cry for the entire galaxy. Yet it's not. And then then Lando goes and says, "Hey," which which is it's. if you're really cynical, it's a funny idea that both the Skywalkers can't get anywhere with the galaxy, but Lando shows up and it's like, hey guys, hop on in. And the entire galaxy <laughs> shows up. Like, again, as a cynical Star Wars fan, that's really funny. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't think he uh, challenged the rest of the galaxy to get that card game and cheated him into it? The entire galaxy bets its entire, like all of its <laughs> navy on one hand, and yes. Lando had, had the little thing in his, like what his, uh, his wrist that shoots out the right, the, the trump card. Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, the spring loaded um, derringer, like derringer gun thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
and Chewbacca's there being like, at least I'm on the right side of this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, again, we'll get later on to the whole idea of communication. The idea of Kylo Ren uh, kind of cutting off planets, again, it's an interesting idea we've never seen before, but yes. it kind of retroactively invalidates the ending of The Last Jedi. Because if that was the case, how do a bunch of stable kids on Canto Bite know about this, but the whole galaxy yeah. doesn't? How can yeah. the very and that's that's the brilliance of the ending of the Last Jedi is that Luke's sacrifice so quickly permeates the galaxy that even a bunch of kids that are, I would imagine, in some level of slavery or indentured servitude, even they know about it. Yet the galaxy doesn't. Okay. Okay. And, and that's again, I, I I think a lot of the Last Jedi was lost I, again. The Rise of Sky—I I still love the Rise of Skywalker, but I do think a lot of that movie, uh, a lot of what that movie does, either misunderstands the Last Jedi or it was a conscious decision to just ignore it. Okay. Again, I, I don't know, but we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll I didn't. Forward. I definitely have never thought about the ending of the Last Jedi in the way that you've described, for sure. Um, but no, I think you're making good points to to back it up. Yeah, and that's the thing is that like a lot of Star Wars fans attack the Rise of Skywalker for being oh they're deliberately ignoring the Last Jedi, and I don't think they they could be, but I don't think that's maybe the very specific reason. It's kind of like what Rob said. I think you have a lot of people, and Chris Porteous last week even said it too. It's the idea that the people who make these movies aren't diehard fans. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not. It's 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 a job. Yeah, yeah, keeping the shareholders happy. We said yeah. it plenty of times. <laughs> and I, I would imagine that when again, when when Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams were presenting this idea to the board of directors for the Rise of Skywalker, I doubt they're saying, "Okay, so we can't do this idea because the ending of the kids means this symbolically, and that's the intrinsic meaning of all this." I, there's, again, Steve Jobs' widows like I get picks up the stapler and, sh- and throws it at one of them. It's like, "Shut up and just print money for me." <laughs> they don't care they don't yep. care about the meaning of the last jedi again as long as the check clears uh, swipe your credit card to help ray defeat palpatine <laughs> um all right so moving on uh force ghost luke appears as ray trains luke is pushing ray to get stronger in the force while he is pushing kylo to let ben out kylo makes it back to coruscant face is damaged mandalorian armor is smelted and is and has been applied and has been applied to his face. Kylo Ren confronts Hux, belittles him, saying he doesn't need titles. So the one, the Mandalorian armor thing is interesting. I, I don't know my Star Wars timeline, but I would assume that there was uh, the Mandalorian that the show was to some extent in the works back when this script was written. So I, that kind of, I guess now in today's age that it's out and completed the first season, that's what it made me think of like a tie in to the, to the show. But it, what is applied to his face mean? Like, are we talking like, you know, like an actual, like burn his face and then cauterize it with metal to, cause it won't heal right or something. I uh, I have a lot of problems with this. Again, I, it could be interpretation. It could be something lost in translation. This is another one of those instances that makes me question the validity of this because it rings like fan service. Yeah. Mandalorian armor, when they were writing this, nobody on Earth knew what that was. Okay. Like, that was like, like if we were doing the Knights of Vader trivia contest— I'd be hard pressed to believe that that's like what it's made. I know now Beskar steel is one of those things that everybody's just screaming about because of the Mandalorian. But back in 2016, that was a thing that nobody knew. Like that's like, if if that was a trivia question that unless you were a super duper ultra hardcore fan, you would have had a hard time with that. 
Gotcha. gotcha. And I and okay, this is my okay, this is my own conjecture speculation when it comes to the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian uh, it was Lucasfilm's idea, and it even goes back to a bunch of those rumors about the High Republic, is that when back in like I wanna say early 2014, it could be even earlier, it could have been fall 2013. Um, I'm sorry, spring 2014, fall 2013. The rumor was that Lucasfilm wanted to do the sequel trilogy, which was which wasn't even a rumor that was announced back in October 2012. But they also had ideas for three standalone films. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do the Han, the young Han Solo movie, the Boba Fett movie, and the young Yoda movie. And everybody forgets this though, but that Thursday night when Solo was coming out in May of 2018. Variety was reporting that James Mangold was directing the the, the Boba Fett film. Oh, okay. And, and that film was canceled Monday morning. <laughs> so, and my thing is that you can see pieces of the standalone standalone Boba Fett film in The Mandalorian, specifically Chapter Five, where he goes on he goes with a bunch of the criminals and they go to uh, rescue the person not not rescue but to liberate the person on the New Republic uh, prisoner ship. Oh, sure. That's very that was always the rumor for the band the, the Boba Fett film was that it was going to be Boba Fett with a bunch of bounty hunters going on a job together. Mm, gotcha. And so my understanding of the Mandalorian was they realized, oh crap, the Boba Fett film is never going to work. So we have to re- we've put so much effort into this and resources. Let's just repackage it into something else that's yeah. much more digestible to audiences. Yeah, that seems like uh, an obvious move for any um, creative studio like Disney or Lucasfilm or any of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't doubt that they had some level of TV show in the works for Star Wars, but Mandalorian really didn't start to take off until 2018. That's really when it started to okay. get. Really dialed up. So this idea that Kylo ran back in December of 2016 would have been using Mandalorian armor for his face. I that feel like I have again. I believe Robert Meyer Burnett, but I have a really hard time. That's a hard one to swallow. Sure. Okay. Fair. I, I also like in this bullet point you read that uh, Kylo Ren tells uh, Hux that he doesn't need titles. I know that in this, these leaks, it's referring to him being Chancellor Hux, but he, I don't think he needs titles in the movie we got. He does not need to announce that he's the spy. <laughs> uh, dude, I wake least... up in the middle of the night, folks, laughing about that still. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Star Wars. That uh, Zoom is the most comical thing I think I've seen all year, and I'm talking <laughs> last year. <laughs> Oh dear. All right. Um, going back, Ray to Luke as they train. Balance. The dark suffocates the light. Light extinguishes the dark over and over and over again. How's that balance in the force? Luke, I know that anger. My father had it too. Ray, so says my master and his master before him. A thousand masters so eager to tell us how to live. Rest of exchange between Ray and Luke is basically Ray trying to back away from being a Jedi. She admits she is no one, and Luke is trying to convince her that to convince her he says the Force is speaking to her. I really like. I think I've said it before. Maybe not in a while. Maybe not on recording. I've. Oh, I hate this. Like, there's got to be a, a light side and a dark side. There's got to be a good and a bad. And 
I, I'm more intrigued in things, you know, not making it so cut and dry. Like, I like the idea of Ray saying, you know, how is this balance? How is one always upping the other in perpetual, like, insanity? How is that balance? Balance means both coexist uh, in some harmonious way. And that's way more interesting to me than just, like, oh, we killed all the bad guys, and now it's just good guys. And it's like, it, when, when you actually get into it, you know, in, in story detailed storytelling or the real world, there is no good or bad it's all, you know, a perspective. It's it's a moral opinion to some extent. Yes, I I agree with you. And I know that's a big thing too, a lot of people use to kind of explain um Star Wars, like when it comes to George Lucas, is that the force is always trying to balance itself out. Like at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you have Anakin kills 99% of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that film, the force is in balance. You have two Sith, you have two Jedi. And let's ignore the fact that there's a bunch of Padawans and other characters are just floating around. <laughs> yeah. Lucas didn't didn't care about those. The movies are what are what mattered to him. But the problem with that is, is that filthy casual mass audiences are not gonna. They're not. That's not a satisfying ending. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've I've been saying it with stories for years. Like I I would I still to this day I want one. Final Fantasy game where friendship is not the ultimate power. Like, please, that is so stupid to me. Like, I want someone to be like, I don't need this. I just have to be great. But you're right. That's not what, you know, lends itself to mass audiences. And it's a bummer. Yeah. And that's and that's what it is, though. That's that's the ba- that's the kind of the push and pull between art artistic filmmaking and commercialism mm-hmm. is that you need to find that balance. And I don't know how you do that in Star Wars. I don't know how you have that fulfilling ending of the hero's triumphing and at the same time trying to have uh, peace in a series called Star Wars. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's kind of like, like I, that's again, the, the very uh, cynical, sarcastic brilliance of The Last Jedi of Luke saying, oh, uh, this is going to be a perpetual cycle. It's never going to end. Mm-hmm. You need you need light and darkness. It's never again. It's Star Wars. Um, if it was called Star Peace, the movies the movies aren't going to be that f- much fun. It's again. It's Star Wars Episode Ten is inevitable. It's coming at some point. Whether that be 10, 15, 20 years from now, that film will be made at some point. Um, and Daisy Ridley will be in it when she's sometime in her late thirties, early forties. It's it, again. It's it's inevitable. Star Wars will never know peace because that's just the way the world works. Um, you, there's yeah. always gonna be heroes yeah. and villains, and to ever try to put any sort of definitive closure to that, I think is misguided. It's kind. I think we talked about it, Rob. We did our. Uh, I forget what episode it was of Cinematis, where I think it was Sean S. Cunningham talking about uh, the Jason Freddy. Um, the Friday the 13th films, and he's like, "There's no more boring ending to one of these movies than somebody just killing." The, the 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 bad guy protagonist yeah the yeah. worst thing that can happen in these movies is that you kill them for good yeah yeah that's true because in the in the narrative perspective you know you need something to keep it going and and i totally get that you know you need the light to win but there's still some dark left the dark to win there's still some light left just to kind of keep the ball rolling keep the interest in it for sure yeah all right so moving on to rest of the script um back to kylo ren he and hux continue to uh take shots at each other Kylo says he's leaving, but not before Hux tell but before telling Hux the power he discovered will make destroying planets insignificant. Kylo's last order to Hux, find the resistance, wipe them out, and leave the girl to me. This might be my favorite thing of all the leaks. I I was 
once I read it, I was like, I would have loved if we had a character in episode nine on, on, you know, in the first order on the bad side, say something like, okay, destroying planets is stupid. That's not going to work anymore. We can be stronger because they've done it so much. It's like, you know, it just, it's irrelevant. It seems like, oh, another planet blew up. Okay. We've, we've been there. It's going to happen, I guess. And I love that idea where he's like, this new power is going to make everything we've done before insignificant. You know, we're not going to need that junk anymore. I, I, I dug that really hard. Sure. I, I think it's fair to say that Star Wars has played the uh, planet-destroying weapon thing into the ground now. I, I don't know how you ever have another planet-destroying weapon in Star Wars and not just roll your eyes. Uh, yeah. Like it, if anything, change it up. You know, like the Great Thumb Wars was spinning the planet. That's that. Of course, that was a parody. But it's still a negative thing for the planet. It's just in a different way than destruction is bad, you know? Yeah, but again, it goes... uh, That's the thing about Star Wars, though. And it's what Lucas said in the the behind-the-scenes thing for The Phantom Menace. It's it's like poetry, it rhymes. Sure, sure. If you're going to make Episode Nine and have Palpatine come back, it makes sense that after all these years, he would create, instead of one big space destroying like i'm sorry one big space weapon that destroys a planet have a bunch of small ones that can do it mm-hmm. and the fact that like it's palpatine's folly like think about it every time he's in, he's in trouble in the series he always kind of goes back to the same thing his little lightning is his uh sparkle fingers <laughs> yes and think about it, it gets him in trouble in episode three it gets him in trouble in episode six it gets him in trouble in episode nine it's he's a bad guy he's not even though we love palpatine for the everything is proceeding exactly as i have foreseen it it's yet he's also a bad guy yeah yeah he's not that and that's where star wars does thrive when you do have somebody like grand admiral thrawn where he is a villain that okay i've outthought of every contingency on a physical level, but only when it comes to spiritual acts, like the force, the sort of stuff that's beyond his comprehension that you can get to jump on him. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's, that's what star Wars needs. Star Wars needs another grand villain. That's not just evil space wizard. Yes, that would be great. (laughs) And that's why, again, when, when you go to the, the EU novels, like the Yuzan Vong, where you had this entire species of uh, creatures that were, uh, that couldn't be affected by the force, Ooh. and so and so it created a whole new set of problems. Of okay, how do Luke, Leia, and all these characters that are so reliant? Basically, you're taking, you're removing the crutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I always thought they were going to go like back when we like kind of uh, like speculate about episode eight nine in the last couple of years. It was like something like this has to happen. Again, the good guys and the bad guys have to come together because there needs to be even a bigger threat out there that's, oh, we have to worry about this because there's even there's something even worse than either one of us. Gotcha. Okay. And I, and I do think they're leading to that because I know I, I, again, I've always evangelized about the new Thrawn novels, and that is the threat is that you do have this new species called the Grisks that are a new amalgamation of the Yuzan Vong that are these kind of like uh, beings that nobody knows about that have some sort of extrasensory power that nobody's aware of. And they're not something that just, you can kind of like wave your laser sword at and defeat them. Oh yeah. That definitely sounds interesting. Almost like, uh, in a naive way, it's like they have something similar to the force, but on a different frequency. So it, yeah. a- it acts differently. And that, that's a neat idea for sure. 
Yeah, you need something like that. But uh, that's again, to me, it's going to be really fun to see what Star Wars turns out in the next couple of years. Uh, the fact that we're now done with the 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 the, the main film series, and we still really have no idea what's coming next. Um, as much as I would love more Jedi nonsense, more I guess more. Well, I guess I don't want to say Jedi nonsense, but more spiritualism in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I think going back to the Jedi is. Go, again, you're going back to the same well again. Yeah, like you do. You can have Jedi in there though, but you gotta do something that kind of puts them on their toes. You can't just have yeah. the Jedi doing their shtick, just being again running the game. But that's that. yeah. I I know. I don't think I said it last time I was on about um, Mandalorian. I, I think I might have said it for Solo, but I love the fact that in Solo and the Mandalorian, like there's 99 percent of it. That you know, a little less the Mandalorian Solo, more so. They never say the word Jedi or the Force in Solo. You just see a lightsaber at the end, and that's that's interesting to me. Even though you know I might not have loved Solo, they're doing something different, and I, I have to do nothing but give them credit for that. That's what I want. This universe is not just you know the Skywalkers and the Palpatines. Like there's so much else that should be that is going on and should be shown off. Yeah, again, you can do a lot with Star Wars though. But my, well, I finally, I'm kind of like the opposite of Rob in that regard. I want the, I don't just want people with laser swords swinging them at each other. I want that philosophical spirituality. Sure. Yeah. Fair. I want like that's what I want. I, More again, of the mysticism and stuff. Yeah, like that. I, I want the yeah. Again, I, I, I've kind of had. My, I think the Mandalorian taught me one thing about my taste in Star Wars. I'm tired, tired of of outlaws in space. Mm-hmm. I'm like you can't. The problem that's going to you. You can only mine that so far. Where you have a, you have space badass doing badass things. Sure. Because if everybody's a badass, no one's a badass. Well, yeah, of course, of course. But I, I think that was you know I think you we talked about it briefly once where you know the it is interesting when the the Mandalorian. Um, he just kind of rushes into action and it ends up messing him up because he didn't think things through. Sure, but still, the idea of just outlaw in space. Yeah, that there's so much of that now, not just in Star Wars. It's the idea of like, okay, you got to do something a little bit more. Again, you can have the Jedi there though, but you got to put them in situations we've never seen them before. In like, and like the idea of having to confront uh, beings that kind of make them impotent. Like that's the sort yeah. of they have to outthink their opponents. They can't outleap their opponents. They can't outmaneuver them through their their connection to spirituality. Yeah, and, and wasn't there a seed of that in the Phantom Menace? Can't Qui Gon Jinn not mind trick Watto for some reason? Well, yeah, th- th- yeah, exactly. You do have some remnants of that, even Jabba in Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah, oh of course, absolutely, sure. I love, and then, I love how Rob went directly to Watto and not Jabba. I don't know. I, love I think it. I, love I think it. it's I think it's because we've been saying I've been reading um, Kuat the planet, and whenever I read that, it makes me think of Quato from total recall and that in turn makes me think of Watto. <laughs> I don't care how you got there, I'm just happy with it. <laughs> okay, good. But I, I see what you're saying where you know give them new situations where they have to, you know, think up a way to get out of it because their usual tricks don't work. Don't undercut it like in I would say the Phantom Menace where oh, Qui-Gon Jinn's like I can't um you know, mind trick Watto, so I'm gonna influence the the die roll type of thing. And it's like, okay, we're just doing the same thing. It just took one extra step to get there. Yeah, but at least make it a little bit more. Again, at least that makes it a little bit more interesting. They gotta think outside the box. 
And that's just kind of what I want. And that, Little and, bit, yeah. And the weird thing with the sequel trilogy is that the sequel trilogy didn't even try touching on that. Like, mm. as much as we complain about, like, oh, like, enough Jedi in Star Wars, we didn't really get that in the sequel trilogy. Like, there's not a lot of, like, yes, we got inundated with that with the prequels, but the sequel trilogy, for the most part, is not that at all. Yeah, like the Force Awake, the Force Awakens has practically no Jedi spirituality, like mythology at all. The Last Jedi has some, and the sequel, um, the sequel trilogy, the Rise of Skywalker has a little bit, but most of it's just kind of at face value. Mm, yeah, yeah, and that's the weird thing is that we we really haven't gotten that. Like we in the books, it's there. But it's not really in the films. And I get that. Philo- Star Wars philosophy isn't going to make a film gross $250 million opening weekend. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's the idea. That that's the stuff that makes it last forever. It's, it's kind of like it's the bedrock. It, it's not the thing you sell to the public, but it needs to be in there. So like 30 years from now, someone can sell a Christmas ornament of Obi-Wan Kenobi explaining the force to Luke. Oh, yep, yeah, sure. But again, that's a topic for another day. Um, all right, going back to the leaks. Team A, consisting of Rose, Finn, R2, and 3PO, go to Coruscant to light the beacon. Team B, Ray, Poe, Chewbacca, go to a planet to find someone to help Ray figure out what she needs to do. <laughs> <laughs> again, can't blame the Colin Madman Trevorrow, but that's just funny. I like the idea. A bunch of the characters are going somewhere. Well, where are they going? They're going to find, to find someone. someone. Find someone who can help Ray. Do what? <laughs> what she needs to do. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else would she be going to see them for? She's not doing uh, something she doesn't need to do. <laughs> I, I, I like in, in, in parenthetical, this person actually writes, <laughs> yes, his description is that big. <laughs> yeah, I, I was imagining because as oh I think God, once so we funny. get through once we get through the next three bullet points, we get into where the 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 Reddit post goes into. He starts summarizing now. I'm I haven't watched the video. I'm with you there, Zach. But I would imagine that uh, Robert Burnett was maybe getting a little tired out at this point. <laughs> yeah, I I, again, I would imagine the script's probably like 120 to like 150 pages. Yeah, it's got to be if a not doozy. more. Yeah. Um, which leads, like, I know Robert Meyer Burnett did this so he could get clicks. I looked at his YouTube channel. He averages around 5,000 of views per video. And his two Star Wars ones got, like, they're near 100,000 each. Mm-hmm. So clearly he was sitting on this and, and deliberately unleashed it just for this purpose um, of getting clicks. But you'd think if you are going to do this, you would want to make it as concise as possible. Maybe take yeah. some notes. Make it a little bit more bite-sized. I know some I was sense th- of preparation. Yeah, sure. You think if you were, and I know you and I, considering that we're schmucks talking on a Thursday night, it's the idea that like if we were sitting on something this big and we had like twenty five years of experience in the industry, would be a little bit more coordinated in how we t- attack this. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Um, again, a lot of weird stuff about this, folks. Like, again, people are goofy, so you can't exactly say it's weird, but. You think something like this, you know, is going to really like capture the news cycle when it comes to entertainment journalism Mm. and just kind of like punt it this way. It's just, it's odd. Um, All right. So Kylo is going to the Sith planet slash Remicor. Remicor. Edit. Before he leaves for Coruscant, Kylo takes Vader's mask and says he understands Vader now. Kylo. You allowed love to cloud your judgment, and he throws Vader's mask off of a balcony, and it shatters. 
Once Lay- again, something that I really like, but they have to give it to the bad guy. So, of course, you know, then it's supposed to be like, oh, bad guy says love is bad, so we know love is good. Good is good. Bad is bad. Good good will triumph over bad. Good, good, reasons, bad, bad. Good, good, bad, bad. One of the reasons why Whiplash is a fantastic movie, we get that great scene where the he's like, I don't want to date you anymore, girlfriend, because I need to be the best drummer in the world. And she goes... Why are you doing this? And he goes, I just told you because I need to be the best drummer in the world. And she leaves the movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I haven't watched Whiplash in a while, but I remember that sequence very vividly. I, I've I, always found that fascinating. That I moment. loved that scene. The first time, every time I see that movie, I'm just like, yes, we need more of this. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, all right, that's okay. If anybody had okay, uh, Mister Mister Dillywood, if you're out there and have any complaints about that, please send all emails to uh, cinemaodies at gmail. <laughs> not, not the cinemaodies iTunes account, but please send it to cinemaodies at gmail dot com. Explain to Rob why uh, loving people in combination of what you do in life is not a bad thing. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Remnicor, I have no idea what Remnicor is. Uh, I think the Sith, ho- uh, clearly the idea of Kylo Ren going to the Sith home planet mm-hmm. shows up in The Rise of Skywalker as Exegol. But uh, in Star Wars, it's funny, the, the Sith home world has always been a different planet. For the longest time, it was Korriband, and then Lucas changed it to Moribond, and no one could figure out why he had to change like a letter. Okay. And then well, obviously... Korriband... Cor- Sounds like you just took the SC at a Coruscant and put a B. I don't know how Corabant is spelled, but they sound very similar. Well, that's that was the name it was in. Le- that was that's what. what okay, the Corabant was what it was always known, like in the books and comics and stuff. Okay, and then when Lucas was doing, like I think season six of the Clone Wars series, Yoda goes to the Sith homeworld of Moribond, and I remember that was in the. I want to say summer, fall of 2013. That was a mi- minor controversy in the Star Wars fandom because everybody <laughs> was mad they were changing the name. Okay. And apparently that order came down from Jorge himself. Mm, interesting. But the fact that the Sith homeworld just constantly changes means that there, there's, no, there's no affinity for any one specific location at Lucasfilm. Sure. Which is fine. I don't care. Leia stays at the base overseeing the Resistance. Before Ray leaves, she and Leia have an exchange where Ray says she believes they're still good in Kylo. Leia is skeptical, but Ray believes in her Jedi Temple training. Leia, you're not like my father or my brother. You're new. Whatever happens, remember the Force chose you, Ray. Your story isn't written by anyone else. Except the Madman. Except for the Madman and Derek Connolly. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people get mad at the fact that uh, in in both the actual Rise of Skywalker film and in these leaks, that Leia has more or less written off her son. And there is that moment in The Last Jedi that people tend to overlook at the very end where again, Luke comes to talk to Leia, and he's talking to her, and she goes, I'm so glad you're here at the very end. And they go through the entire thing, and she goes, and he goes, I came to face him, Leia. He goes, I, and she goes, I know my son is gone. And then he goes, no one's ever really gone. Mm. And that that exchange has been so misinterpreted and just perverted. I know the no one's ever really gone now has been bastardized 
a, th- a dozen ways from Sunday because yep. that's the thing everybody uses now. Oh, no one's ever really gone. No, I think even Red Letter Media has the mashup of every every character that's ever died in Star Wars with uh, Mr. Plinkett going, but no one's ever really gone. <laughs> and and the problem though is that Lucas try again. Leia says, "I know my son is gone," which shows that ever since he killed Han Solo, she's kind of conceded that her son now is. Firmly turned to the dark, which is also a thing that Ray is trying to convince Luke of throughout the events of the of the Last Jedi, and by the end, again, again, I swear to God, the people who don't like the Last Jedi have never watched that movie all the way through. I swear, I swear, they they finished Canto Bite and they just turned the film off, and that's his whole thing. But the end of the film, even Luke says, "No one's ever really gone," essentially conceding that Kylo Ren can be redeemed. Sure. Which is what happens in the rise. That's one thing that the rise of Skywalker really does knock out of the park. It, it gets the redemption of Ben Solo. And I know in the Raylo community, and I and every day I, I I love them even more and more based on what I follow them on Twitter. And I know they're mad about the idea that Kylo Ren has to die um, in order to be redeemed. Again, I I don't see it that way. I have a very specific in- interpretation of what happens to him at the end of the rise of Skywalker. Um, maybe I'll go into it another day because I don't want to go into it now. But it's something that I I haven't seen anybody else talk about. But um, I do think the idea of Ben Solo being redeemed, it, the idea, not the execution of it, but just the notion of it, is uh, something that the Rise of Skywalker does pick up pretty pick up the ball that the Last Jedi left. Okay, okay. But again, that's uh, something that will be discussed another day. All right, this is like what Rob said, where it transitions to more just kind of broad strokes instead of like plot points. The First Order tracks down the stolen Star Destroyer to the planet Kor Aloth, which was the place where Ray and friends parked it. Um, the Resistance escapes. Team A successfully infiltrates the Jedi Temple and turns on the beacon. Cut to different places around the galaxy, receiving the signal. Apparently there's a Bosque cameo. It is then cut off by the First Order. Team A then flees into the underbelly of Coruscant. Team okay, B, feel oh. Knights of Vader in the Facebook group. Feel free to, I don't know, you can't dislike something. You can give the sad face thing, right, <laughs> to comments. <laughs> feel free to feel free to thumb me down to the ground. Who is Bosk? I don't know who Bosk is. All right, folks, I uh, I'm going to uh, look him up on Google Images right now and send him to Rob. Is it someone that I will know when yeah, I see him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recognize him. I want to find the the worst picture of him possible and, and send to you. <laughs> like I was reading this and I was like, "Who the, who's Bosk?" <laughs> I feel like I kind of want this to kind of drag on forever. So Rob, his humiliation has to last forever. <laughs> I feel like this is uh, what I yeah I didn't know who Wedge was in the Galaxy of Fear from the Galaxy of Fear book, and he showed up in the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, when I was listening to your guys' review of the Rise of Skywalker and. I know you were talking about how he doesn't show up for a very long time. I was just like, I, I never would have picked up on that. Drop cheer, though. Uh, Empire Strikes Back Bounty Hunter? Well, Rob. Is that because, where I know him from? Yes, Rob. Okay. F- folks, I want why to would know. He get the, why would he get the signal? Why would we because want people, him to get the signal? Because people recognize it. Fair. You're Fair. like, you saw Boba Fett. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's what I was expecting. The Mandalorian <laughs> is sitting there with Baby Yoda, and they both get the signal. But Baby Yoda wasn't created yet. <laughs> he gets it anyway. That's just how Baby Yoda's Baby Yoda knows everything before anybody else does. <laughs> okay, okay. 
Yeah, I, which, I would not have known that dude's name. Speaking of which, Rob, how many Build a Bear Baby Yodas are you buying? Oh, how uh, many? How many thousand? <laughs> I was about to say they're putting a, a nationwide limit on it because of how many I've purchased so far. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually wondered, like. I could very well imagine, like the day they, they like, I would imagine because Build a Bear is probably going to announce when they're available. I yeah. could see very easily that being like the equivalent of like an Apple launch of like a new product. I could see people like lining up outside their local Build a Bears to make sure they get a bit. And I could see that very, like, I have no idea. Uh, comment down below if you can tell us how much the average Build a Bear cost. But like, let's just say, let's say that goes for. $30. Okay. I could see that going for like $300 like the first day because oh, it sells out well, everywhere. Apparently, there's a Build a Bear like 15, 20 minutes away from me. Cool. So, you can, uh, you can camp let's out there, it. Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll I would love live online. I would love to like get in line at a Build a Bear for like the day that the baby Yodas are released. And then when I finally get my turn, don't get a baby Yoda. Like, I'm like, I want to do a regular Build a Bear. Why are all these damn people here? <laughs> Rob gets to like the least, like the, the like leftover, like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer that's been sitting there since sometime like in December. <laughs> the leftover like Valentine's Bears. Rob, this, I remember the last Build a Bear I ever got was like, God, like, like 2004. It was an Elmo. Okay. And I remember you could actually like record your own stuff and put it inside the bear. So can you make a build a bear of like a baby Yoda that can like say bad things? I now I'm interested in build a bear. I don't think I've ever <laughs> I think if I've ever gone to a build a bear, I've just like been in it for a few seconds. Maybe I've definitely never gone through the process or anything like that. Um, but now now I'm intrigued. Absolutely. <laughs> I like that as an idea. I have a baby Yoda just talks. You know what I'd love to do? Um, take Samuel Jackson's yes. quotes and put it inside the baby Yoda. I was the, thinking the exact same thing. Like some great snakes on a plane dialogue and stuff like that. You know what, Rob? I'll make it even better. I'll make it even more Rob appropriate. We get iced tea quotes from Law and Order Smoo. <laughs> a oh. baby Yoda that talks like iced tea. Who's giving everybody the giggles? When your child tickles him, he talks. I will never understand white people. Just being real, lying to have sex is just part of the game. She's into something more than fiddles and accordions. The stink of pimple cream turns my stomach. This ain't no poker game. You guys are having sex with each other. What do you plan on getting frisky with the hamburglar? You, my baby, says more than 30 phrases. Each doll sold separately with two diapers, batteries not included. That That's great. Now I just want the option to make plush dolls of different Star Wars characters and we get to create their own voice box. Like, I would love to make a Palpatine, like, <gasps> plush, but put in, like, you know, like, like actual, like, sweet nothings that it whispers in a very high-pitched voice. You know, just to throw people off. Does it do it in the Palpatine voice or does it do it, like, in a different, like, entirely different tone? I think I would want a different tone but the same cadence. Oh, <laughs> but like oh. I pitched, you know, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Get, get to work, build a bear. We want Palpatine plushies. The dark side of the force leaves a pathway to things that people think unnatural. I don't know something. I can't do any Palpatine voice. I can only do one voice when I do a high pitched voice and it's a little girl voice. So I like, I like <laughs> I'm not the that, best person. <laughs> I like how that's essentially Herbert from Family Guy doing a Palpatine impersonation. <laughs> now, that would be something to put some Herbert lines on to, into a Star oh, Wars character. Into, into the baby Yoda. OK, folks. OK. I know, I think it was last week we had the idea of Kylo Ren's Halloween maze from the Vader castle. Um, comment down below if you have any, pick a movie 
TV, actor, any quote it could be sp- anything you want that you would want to put inside your baby Yoda doll. So when you squeeze its hand or its tummy, it says these things. It could be anything you want. Comment down below. I want to hear them. And, and you get more bonus points the crazier they are. I think my go-to, now that I'm thinking about it, would be Freddy Got Fingered quotes <laughs> from Tom Green. <laughs> Do I have to bleep that? That, it's a title, so I don't think I have to bleep it, but... Yeah, and, and fingered means uh, that they got picked out, you know, or, or snitched on. They were fingered yeah. by the cops. Okay. Finger. I'll bleep out. I'll p- <laughs> that one has to be bleeped <laughs> out, because that definitely had a different meaning to it. Um, all right, back to the Rise of Skywalker. Back to the Colin Mack and Trevorrow episode 9 leaks. Team A then flees into the underbelly of Coruscant. Team B are being pursued by the Knife Nine, the Knights of Friendship, and eventually they reach the planet Bonadon. Kylo reaches Remacor and confronts Tor Valum, 7,000 years old, alien of unknown origin, spindly, intense, sinewy muscle, very Lovecraftian. Kylo begins training with Valum, owed to Empire Strikes Back cave. Kylo fights Vader. Fight is brutal, and Kylo Ren loses. I I would be interested to see if there's any concept art for this, you know, Lovecraftian Tor Valum, because that that's always interesting to me. But uh, this, at least I guess from what we're reading, it seems like you know we're getting a little later on in this script. Um, it's at the point where Burnett is starting to summarize. And I, I'm kind of imagining this is somewhere near the end of the second act, start of the third act, and Kylo Ren's training? Like, that seems so out of place. Yeah. But you know what they're trying? Again, they're trying to do their own little weird parallels. Again, do a dark side version of Luke and Yoda from Empire. Okay, okay. Again, it's it's as if everybody just... It, that's the weird thing about The Last Jedi is that in, in that The Last Jedi is the first Star Wars movie to be a direct continuation of the one that preceded it. It kind of robbed the sequel trilogy of having that. Not in a very... And by I say robbed, I don't mean that I, directly. It, it robbed it in a conventional sense in that it doesn't have that blatant Empire Strikes Back moment. In that Ryan Johnson did give the sequel trilogy its dark middle chapter... But it just didn't have it in the sense that what everybody expected it to be. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a third Star Wars film try to shove as much into it as possible clearly also was in Madman Trevorrow's version. Yeah. It's not something exclusive to The Rise of Skywalker. The idea of fighting uh, the what C- Cave Vision Vader, mm-hmm. it's like we've seen this before. Yeah. And like, once again, you're robbing the Empire Strikes Back moment of its uniqueness. But I would imagine, too, the fact that this is happening, Vader would be it would be the the Rogue One Vader. It'd be even though I think the Rogue One Vader moves just as well as he would have moved in the original trilogy. You know, it would have been like dialed up to eleven. He'd been flipping around. He would have been doing Darth Maul twirls and flips and jumps. It would have just been so. I, I get the feeling it would have been over the top. Sure. Yeah, I could see that for uh, definitely. Especially if, if if it's the context of it's a vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I don't care for that. Um, Bonadon. Poe takes Ray to a seer who can pull information out of memories. The seer pulls a star chart out of Ray's mind from her visions with Kylo. Knights of Ren show up and fight and re- fight and fight Ray in a lightsaber battle. She defeats them and Team B escapes. 
clearly the idea of a the seer evolved into Babu Frick. The idea of oh, pulling sure. memories out of a character. Yeah, they really did. They really did extrapolate a lot of stuff from this. Um, both Ray and Kylo Ren eventually get to Mortis. I know in other stuff they talk about that's more explained. Um, Leia asks Lando if he will organize the smugglers and fight the First Order. Rose is captured and tortured by the First Order, but is able to escape. I escaped somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Finn, R2, and 3PO start a citizen's uprising on Coruscant around the the First Order Citadel slash Palace. Leia brings her forces to Coruscant to battle the First Order. Massive space battle, ground battle. In the style, you know how that works. Chewie flies next wing. Now that was sold a bunch of toys. Oh yeah, that's a good point. The idea of Chewie flying next wing. That's that's I'm surprised they never did that. <laughs> um okay, Ray and Kylo battle on Mortis using force energy that they can pull from each other. At some point it is revealed Kylo killed Ray's parents at the behest of Lord Emperor Snoke. Towards the end, Luke, Obi-Wan, Yoda appears force ghost to save Ben, but are unsuccessful. Ben is extinguished. And I think it's interesting that it says, oh, okay, Ben is extinguished as in the good side is gone. Uh, Burnett seems to be at the end. So he, so just for housekeeping sake, resistance one, first order loses. Final detail, Han Solo appears in the script and does confront Kylo at some point. <laughs> just tacked on at the end there. <laughs> like he forgot. I forget. There's another article somewhere where they delve into even more information. I know somebody did a further deep dive. I know it's explained even further. Um, what happens toward the latter half of the film. Yeah, I think I was reading that one where like Kylo goes into some type of shack or house or something and he, he talks to Han Solo. Han Solo and and that definitely seemed like it was reminiscent of what we do get in the uh, film, The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And there's even the part two where Rey kills one of the Knights of Ren. Um, there's also another moment where uh, Rey and Poe kiss. Yes. Which, okay, I know this was something that people always, um, I remember in The Last Jedi, at the very end, when Poe introduces himself to Rey, and it's like, hi, I'm Poe, and she's like, hi, I'm Rey, she goes to explain, like, who she is, he's like, I know who you are, and she has this kind of, like, like, schoolgirl smile, and it's like, oh, Mm. oh, like, what's going on here and I, they explain that away as in like oh ray's just like she's finally happy that she's not ray like nobody ray she's sure. she she finally people know who she is and it's like okay i buy that but like my initial just gut instinct december 2017 was oh they're doing something here yeah okay because the, the smile that she has in that moment she never did that previously, and she never does that again. Mm, even, okay, yeah, I don't remember that at all, but I, I get what you're saying. Even at the even after she 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 wakes up to Ben Solo in the Rise of Skywalker, Daisy Ridley never has that level of like elation smile, even in that moment. Okay, and that's just, and apparently I was reading something on Reddit. This part I have no, I don't know, I don't know if it can be tied to Robert Meyer Burnett. It probably isn't, but there was a rumor that much how Ryan Johnson asked J.J. Abrams at the end of The Force Awakens um, to replace BB-8 with R2-D2 on the uh, Millennium Falcon. Madman Trevorrow asked Ruin Johnson to replace to have that moment in the Last Jedi. Hmm. Okay. 
So who knows? Yeah. Um, that that sort of stuff. Uh, I, uh, overall, again, because there's some other stuff we used to have to we have to delve into when it comes to making Star Wars. So we're not going to talk about this much longer. Um, but my thoughts on it, from what I'm reading, because I think the uh, making Star Wars draft is in, is a later draft or it's an earlier draft. It's from like what I think he says at some point. That's from J- beginning of 2016. I think it's a later one, if I remember. Oh, it's later. Yeah, I think it was a later one. Oh, yeah, because the title of the article is I read Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly's final Final. Star Wars Episode Nine script. Okay, but no, no, he hasn't mentioned a date, though, does he? I don't think so, no. But in his opening paragraph, he gives a lot of qualifiers why no one should be mad at him. Yes, (laughs) that sounds like Jason Mord. So, Rob, based on what we read from this, and yes, there's a lot more detail we could go into, what do you think we got was better? What would have been better, this or the final product of Episode Nine? But obviously, it's as you know, just a caveat for the audience, there's a lot lost in translation, especially what we're doing, where we're reading yes. uh, a, 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 what's the word, a subjective take on top of a subjective take. Yeah, it's and, been through so many filters. Yes, and never mind, a final film's going to go through editing, refinement, but based on what we've read so far, how would you judge this compared to The Rise of Skywalker? I yeah, I've definitely been thinking about that because, you know, when when you first sent me these leaks on on uh, the Reddit uh, post and then I kind of just, you know, was looking for other stuff and just seeing article titles at least. There's so many articles that either in the title or at the very beginning they're like this other script of Rise of Skywalker leaks, and it's good. It's better, and it's just like okay. One, I can totally agree with you, Zach. You know, I think we said it before on Cinemodities. There's the movie that gets written, the movie that gets shot, and then the actual final product, and all three of them are very different. So it is really tough to say. But I know, I, I think that you know, I was kind of coming at it from well. I read the entire plot in a bullet point fashion of the rise of Skywalker. The one we got before I ever saw it, like a while before I saw it. So I was trying to keep my head stuck in that frame where it's like, okay, I had bullet points from somebody else who had seen the movie. I read that. And now I have bullet points from, you know, maybe this person who read this script. And I think those are a little more comparable. I think that they are, they have a lot of overlap as we've discussed, you know, certainly Colin Trevorrow was pulled from, for, from Abrams and Terrio and what we got. But I think that I'm happier with what we do have because, like we've been saying, you know, everything kind of in these leaks, not just from the subreddit, but also from the other articles I've read, doesn't seem to gel with itself. It seems like it's even more all over the place than what we got in The Rise of Skywalker, the car with square wheels. Sure, I've talked about how I like some of the ideas in the Trevorrow script. I didn't mention it when you got to it, but... I since we did that episode on the Mortis trilogy, I love the idea that Ray and Kylo have a fight on Mortis. That seems to be a natural kind of peak for the Force and the and the mysticism that we've been talking about to get to. But I, I don't think there's anything here that would in the leaks. I mean, that would lead me to say, oh, this would have been better than what we already got. Because what we got, you know, even though it's it's clunky, it it has turbulence and bumps. It does work well together. And, you know, once you kind of spend the time, I feel like it does have some connective tissue where this stuff is uh, this stuff in the leaks is more like it seems like it is the got to hit these beats, got to have these this spectacle kind of thrown in just for the sake of it, like stealing the Star Destroyer, like having to get to the 
the beacon and light it. And, you know, that's very Lord of the Rings to me to pull out, you know, the, the memories. That's very Harry Potter with the pensive. And it seems like they're just it's almost like a greatest hits collection. And sure, that could be, as we said, the filter of this person, just Rob Meyer Burnett or this person writing the thing, just pulling out the big highlights, because that's what you would do, I would imagine, for these these types of videos or or perspectives, is you just want those big uh, tentpole pieces. But yeah, I think I'd have to say I'm happy with what we got. It is what we got. I'm usually not one to, to fall into the what-if category, because it's almost irrelevant to think about that. But I, I think the end of the day, it's a Trevorrow script. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't gel with itself, and it probably wouldn't gel with audiences. Well, that's the weird thing. I don't know about the audiences because this was, <clears throat> and obviously this this draft was written December 2016. So this is God a full year be- before the uh, the narrative of Not My Star Wars started. Okay. So you're still riding off the high of the Force Awakens. Like Rogue One wasn't even out yet. So like again, that's such a weird thing to think about. That like as they're writing this script, Rogue One wasn't even out yet. I I didn't even think about that, but that is. It's a very strange uh, time to try and remember. Like that's the weird thing. Like it's again going back to a blank check with Griffin and David. Because I was listening to that because I've deliberately a lot of the people who I listen to for this movie opinions and Star Wars stuff. I deliberately kind of just tune them out in in the moments preceding the rise of Skywalker and even kind of the aftermath of it because I enjoyed the rise of Skywalker. I it's not. It's not a type of movie like The Last Jedi where I can critically defend it. Because like I've said, objectively, the film has a lot of problems. So mm-hmm. it's one of those films you either like it on a visceral level or you don't. It's just you're either on board or you're not. No more, no less. And But now I'm going back and listening and reading a lot of things that I probably should have like a month ago. And again, Blank Check. Considering that Blank Check originally was a Star Wars podcast, as Rob knows... Oh, which it, I which I hate because I I don't listen to them. But when they released their Big Fish episode in their Tim Burton <laughs> series, I was furious that the first hour is them discussing Star Wars instead of one of the greatest movies of all time. So I I've never listened to them since. <laughs> yes, Rob, I remember because it, 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 uh, peek behind the curtain, folks. Cinematis is partly like modeled on blank check because that's kind of how I went through. I'm like Rob, let's do what these guys do, but talk about weird movies. And Rob's like, Zach, I don't like either one of these people. They're horrible. I can't stand them. <laughs> yeah, and that gave me a lot of things uh, I learned not to do for yes. podcasting. I hope, at least. <laughs> um, but no, so like Griffin and David, and if anybody knows, Griffin Newman played uh, Arthur on the uh, Amazon revival of the tech, if you know, if you've seen that. And so they they know a lot of stuff behind peek behind the curtain. And I remember Griffin absolutely hates Colin Trevorrow, like, with, oh, like a deep-seated okay. hatred for him. Because I remember when Trevorrow got fired, Griffin was filming The Tick, and they actually did like in, uh, 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 an episode of like Griffin like on location, like in his trailer with David. And they were talking about it, and so. But uh, anyway, though, back to the Rise of Skywalker discussion, and they bring up a fact that nobody ever talks about, and I had completely forgotten about, was that when. Ryan Johnson was hired to be part of Star Wars in like early 2015. He was hired to not just direct and write episode eight, he was also tasked with writing episode nine. Mm, okay. And I completely, I remembered that, like, but I forgot about it. And I know Lucasfilm will actually go back and they will, like, they'll release a, they'll release a press release. And then if something changes, they'll go back and edit it. 
on their website. Oh. So I completely forgot that Ryan Johnson was going to write episode nine, not direct it, just write it. And then they eventually they told him, I'm not, I forget, I forget the uh, Griffin speculates. I don't know how true it is, but he says something like, Oh, eventually they told Ryan, no, we're going to let whoever directs that write the film as well mm-hmm. or whoever they want to do. Um, but you can kind of do what you want with episode eight. We're kind of giving you carte blanche. And I, to this day, I still have a problem with that. I don't get how Disney let Ryan Johnson somehow won the magic ticket when it came to being left alone when it came to a Star Wars film. I don't know yeah. why they picked his name out of the hat, considering they micromanaged everybody. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But no, but that's the idea, though, with episode nine, is that you have all these people working on the film. And Trevorrow was, because again, going back to all this, Ryan Johnson was hired in, in early 2015. The Force Awakens is still like nine months away from being released. Jurassic World is like three or four months away from release. Okay. See, and, and Trevorrow was signed, I think, in the fall of 2015. Oh, wow. So all this is going on, and nobody knows what Star Wars is. Like, everybody <laughs> yeah. gets mad, at, like, oh, the sequel trilogy doesn't have a consistent vision. And it's like, well, yeah, because when they were doing all this stuff, nobody knew what Star Wars was. Yeah, exactly. That, it was yeah, an idea. I, I never, I've never thought about it that way, but that's absolutely right. Yeah, if you don't, you don't have that finished product. It's especially with the meddling that we've talked about. How can you really plan it out? You know, beforehand. Because think about that. Trevorrow is writing Episode Nine in the winter in sp- winter 2015 spring 2016 of episode 9 and look at how much is star wars has changed between then and where it is now definitely like no I, again as much as i don't agree with the philosophy of reshooting a film like weeks before its premiere in a way you can't blame them yeah yeah you, it, it's, it's what it's got to be done to some extent. It's either like, that's the weird thing is that like if you're going to make a two hundred and fifty million dollar film that takes months to uh, gestate, there's only two ways to do it. You either do it the J.J. Abrams way of, of we're going to shoot an entire movie and then post production we're going to reshoot at least half of it, or you have to shut off all the background noise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the George Lucas thing of if you're going to hire a filmmaker. You got to give them the money, the tools, the resources, and leave them alone. You either yep. trust their vision or you don't. And if you don't, you don't hire them. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because and even- and if you trust their vision, even though it might not be you know a crowd pleaser, which is of course what you know these big companies want, as we've said, it's going to be interesting. It's going to break the mold to some extent, whether for good or bad. And and it's kind of a trade off between well. You know, do we want that something that's entirely bankable or do we want that gamble? Yeah, and it's kind of weird considering that how many times the uh, like they meddle and they lose. It's like, yeah, go in with a vision. Like, and that's the weird thing, too, with these Star Wars movies. They, 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 for years, like even with Lord and Miller, Lord and Miller were hired in like the summer of 2016 and they got fired. What? Uh, 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 toward the end of 2017. Well, I don't. Like, I wouldn't well, know, the, but I, I remember that whole story. Yep. Not the end. More toward the fall of 2017. Okay. Like that's the fascinating thing with this. They have so, like you have these people that devote months, if not years, to their lives, and then at the very end, you pull the rug out from underneath them. Yeah, that's 
That's crazy. You wouldn't mind that all this stuff only costs like a buck fifty to make. <laughs> exactly, but they're playing with huge dollar amounts, um, shareholders, money, interests, all that stuff. That's and it is it all is a gamble to some extent, but uh, it's it's just so strange to even think about it. Even though as long as we've been discussing it on Knights of Vader and Cinemodities, it still is so weird to think about. Where it's like. It's almost like uh, the sunk cost fallacy on the on the biggest scale ever. Okay, we've already spent a hundred million dollars, but let's keep going. Let's throw another fifty million at it, all for that big gamble. That's crazy. Yeah, I I don't get it. I I really don't. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like as much as I don't like Trevorrow, and I in, in from my own take on this, I I don't I. There's not enough here for me to. I I need to read the script. Like I, yeah. I, I, re- I really don't want to pass final judgment on this unless I can look at the script. And I know in the video, Burnett says like it's only a matter of time that this gets around. I think he makes the comment that like if I have a copy of this, it's going to show up somewhere for you to read one day and not in the not too hope. distant future. And when I can, and when I can read that, then I'll be like, okay, I could see where they're going with this. But based on what I'm seeing here, it feels very unfulfilling. It's introducing a lot of new elements, which is mm-hmm. something that's inherently wrong when you're trying to do a final chapter of a movie. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, Star Wars and and these movie narratives are not like you know. I, I think it's some part of it is cultural difference, but you know that's almost a hallmark of of like Final Fantasy and those JRPGs where you don't really know the big problem or the big issue till the very end of the story. And that doesn't work for Star Wars. That doesn't work for a continuous narrative throughout, you know, three films, let alone nine films. Yeah, and uh, we're going to continue with this thought for a second, though. But I think just to let Rob know, I'm going to save the making Star Wars thing for another episode. Because we're already in two hours. Okay. And that will be another hour to two hour long discussion. Oh, um, yeah, I, I was pretty much ready to discuss. I know there's a, a bullet point somewhere in here, like way down on the list where it's like everybody's doing something. And then one of the notes is Ray gets involved in a drinking game with aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, OK, that's its whole. <laughs> you're right. That could be its entire own episode. Yeah, I'm probably going to say that for another episode. Uh, probably we'll make this part one. and We'll do part two either next week. I don't know if Rob's going to be involved. Probably not because Rob probably has filled this. Um, let let Zenger and Russ have their own two put their own two cents in on this. Maybe they um, can understand this dude's writing in that article as well. <laughs> he on Twitter he concedes. He's like, guys, I did this on the fly. Um, forgive me, but considering that most typing programs have spell check, I can't forgive that he he spells Kylo as Kyle on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, but again, mm-hmm. fine, fine. Yeah, yes, and and any anyone who writes professionally would know that if you have to spell something. That is not in a dictionary. Multiple times, you control F for it and find the alterations. He never spells Remnicor the same way twice. It's like got six different ver- Remnicor, Remnicor, Reminicor, and it's like, what is wrong with you? You apparently well, read the script. Well, he says he doesn't have his notes, and I think he clearly typed this out on his phone. No excuse. No excuse. No. Well, okay, but that's the problem with with movie and film blockers is that it's. I don't. I don't mean to sound condescending when I say this. Is that there? There's not a standard. There. It's that 
he wanted to get the clicks. And I don't blame him for that. It's, sure. it's a major story. I know even on Reddit, a lot of people were accusing him of writing that story in a very reactionary fashion. Um, considering that he can, Jason Ward is the master scoop leaker. And he was kind of coming late to the party with this. Again, I, I'm glad we have information. I'm not by any means complaining sure. or forsaking. I'd rather have the information and have to sift through typos. Um, but yeah, that's just the price you pay in today's culture when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, there are there are. <laughs> I would have like six times the publications I do if I could write that sloppily and get away with it. And I'm well, angry Rob, about that. You, but Rob, <laughs> you don't live in the film blogger world, and I think no. you're very. I think you're very happy that you don't live in that world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it's a weird time for the English language. It's a horrible time. It. It's a horrible time to be alive for the English language. <laughs> um, but no, like based on what I'm seeing in this script or just outlined by multiple parties, I, I, I am even more thrilled with the J.J. Abrams version. I know back in whatever it was, fall 2017, we were talking about Trevorrow being fired. I was just, I was elated. I, I honestly. Um, I was walking on sunshine and I know at the very end of that discussion, I go, Oh God, what if they hired JJ to come back? And then before I could even release that episode, the news broke the episode that, uh, Lucasfilm had hired him for episode nine. So I had to actually put edit in a disclaimer saying, guys, I know in this episode, we speculate as to who they could hire. We didn't know at the time. And, uh, and there was a lot of that me kind of eating crow yep. the next couple of weeks. But um, no, like, and even in the uh, the slash film article about this, at one point in the article, someone, uh, the person says, "I think the best possible version of this film lies somewhere between Trevorrow's script and Abrams's film. Yeah. Keep Kylo the villain up until the very end, and then redeem him in some way, or at least have him see the light in some capacity." All this is speculation, though. While I, while I certainly like most of the stuff Trevorrow came up with here. I'm not a huge fan of his other movies, his scripts for Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom leave me a bit cold, and there's a very real chance that had Disney and Lucasfilm stuck with this, it could have ended being a bit of a disappointment. However, I do think it's a much better idea to have Kylo remain the bad guy of the story up until the end. This new trilogy really did not need the Emperor to randomly show up at the end and say, ha ha ha, I was behind the whole thing. Um, that point, I know I've been saying this now ever since they announced Palpy for this film. Um, that person is 100% wrong and doesn't understand how multiple film arcs work. Um, I, like I said earlier in this discussion, there's no, you don't introduce a brand new villain mm-hmm. in the last film. And even going back to The Force Awakens, the moment Kylo Ren kills Han Solo, you know he has to be redeemed. Yeah, Star Wars has never had such a cold-blooded killer before. You can have a cold-blooded killer like Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace because we literally know nothing about him. And about 30 seconds after Darth Maul uh, impales Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan cuts him in half. Mm -hmm. So you get that automatic justice in the film. Sure. You do not, in Star Wars, or any film for that matter, you do not have one of the most beloved film icons of all time be killed by a brand new character and then give them so much screen time only to have them just be another generic bad guy. Yeah. And and especially if you are going to make a nine-film series, it makes perfect sense to bring Palpatine back. The guy that started this at the very beginning is going to see it till its completion. Yeah. Yeah, I I have no real issue with them bringing Palpatine back, and I agree with you that you know it's better than having someone brand new, um, for sure. 
And, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's another narrative type thing. It happens all the time in, in long running stories that, you know, um, it's, it's it's everywhere, you know, from from Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. The bad guy's the bad guy at the beginning and then he's behind it all at the end, no matter how long it goes on. And I think that's just so. What, and what, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I don't. I, mean, I don't blame them. I think they did the. It's like anything else in life. It's the idea of you. You make the best deal you can at the moment you're in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they did with this. They they made it. Again, they're all human. Like as much as we like to think that all the I, somebody had Twitter thread, and I wish I could uh, remember them off the top of my head. But someone says that like we like us as fans look at Star Wars as this almost like a version of like a holy text. Um, it's this thing that me has so much weight and worth to it, but at the end of the day, it's just average everyday people like you and I working on it. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and to expect these people to sit there just know the correct answers to everything is expecting too much from them. And that's not to say that we shouldn't hold Star Wars to a high high standard. That's not the point at all. It's just the idea that we can't expect them to trip to not ever trip over themselves. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, we're all people we all you know we all have issues with storytelling and stuff like that there's no one who's you know perfect at it type of thing you're always going to have the 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 lovers and the dissenters and it's just a fact of the world for sure and the only thing i have to the only qualifier i have to add to that is the idea that at least before because I, I saw this is a separate person from the other um thing i just referenced someone said is that like when it came to like uh the thing that's now showing up online of release the jj cut because one thing i do want to touch upon before we wrap this up is the idea that uh, the, what happened is that the art of the rise of skywalker book was released in sort south korea um roughly two months earlier than it's gonna be released everywhere else yeah that is crazy to me when you told me that before it's like how does that even happen well, they it just they printed it and it got shipped. It's the idea that like <laughs> they don't care. That's another thing too. They don't care. So what? It's South Korea. It's like it's not going to get very far unless you bought a copy. They would imagine the print run in South Korea is nowhere near as large as it is for North America or Europe. Um, but this other person on Twitter had the i had the the comment of like, oh, all these people who are saying release the JJ cut. Um, we know that there's alternate versions of all three of the prequels. We know that there's a version of the Phantom Menace. Lucas, obviously, the DVD of the Phantom Menace is a lot different than the theatrical experience. Sure. There's the IMAX cut of Attack of the Clones, which is about 20 minutes shorter and cuts out most of the Anakin Padme dialogue. Mm-hmm. In Revenge of the Sith, apparently there's rumors, and I've mentioned them before on here, that Anakin's descent into madness was more founded in a thirst for power and not in protecting Padme. Oh, okay. It wasn't until after Lucas showed a bunch of his uh, cronies, and they said, we, we really don't get why Anakin's so power-thirsty. And that's why his 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 thing of um, going from episode one to two to three is him going from wanting power to then just being, I want to protect Padme. Mm-hmm. And so this person's saying, oh, if there's a cut of Revenge, because Revenge of the Sith to this day is the only Star Wars film that does not have an alternate cut. Okay. Well, like, I, I, non-Disney era Star Wars. Sure, sure. And so why isn't anybody saying release the George Lucas cut? And th- the overall point this person was trying to make was you're a moron if you if you think release the JJ cut means anything. And I think there's a difference there. It's the idea that with JJ, and even though JJ is a corporate shell, it's the idea that he has no at the end of the day, JJ has no control over the film. Yep. Yet when Lucas was making Revenge of the Sith, 
nobody could tell Lucas what to do. Yeah, di- uh, hugely different levels of creative control. Absolutely, because I-, I honestly can't think of another example, especially on the scale of George Lucas and Lucasfilm, where the president and CEO of the company is the person directing the film. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that to equate J- wanting JJ's cut of the film. Whatever that may be, whatever iteration it may or may not exist, I think is a completely separate. It's not even an apples to oranges comparison than saying release the Lucas cut. Sure, but that's just it. Though you have a lot of things. This goes back to my complaints about the Star Wars fandom. Is that in going back to Mister uh, Dillywood's complaints of me? Is that I with Star Wars? All this content is great. As much as I don't care for the Mandalorian, it's top notch, triple A entertainment. It is. It's, it's slick. It's well-produced. None of the seams are showing. And the same goes for any of the Star Wars movies. They're all great sci-fi action-adventure content. Um, my problems is just more the fans. Because I think you have so many stupid people on the internet that don't understand how anything works. And yet, unfortunately, they have some of the loudest speakers. Mm-hmm. And amplify. I guess more amplifiers is the correct yeah, term. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing that frustrates me, whether it be box office or very poor, uh, uh, oh God, the least half-baked thoughts on Star Wars. And I get it. I'm not saying anybody's opinion should be diminished or or not be allowed into the form of uh, public ideas. It's just that you try talking to these people and they automatically shut you down. And whether it be John Justice, because I've seen him go through it a couple of times. I've gone through it at least once in the last couple of weeks. Is that you have these people in the Star Wars fandom that have a very sizable soapbox. Mm-hmm. And they spew stuff that's factually erroneous. Yeah, I've always kind of thought of it as, or maybe not always, but more recently because of these discussions. I've come to think of it as, you know... There's a difference between criticism and reaction, and it seems like the stuff that is heard the loudest and you know becomes uh, hashtags on Twitter and gets boiled down into little snippets of information are just reactions. They're not criticisms, and you know that and that bothers me in in everyday life. It's you know uh, for an, take an example that Zach and I recently talked about. You know I disliked Joker. But I had my criticisms with it. So the people that I went with that left the theater before the movie ended, they had a reaction. And it's a very different layer of opinion. And it's it's a bummer that, you know, reactions get the most traction on the Internet. Because, of course, you can you can ingest something and spit it out immediately and go, that's bad. I don't like it. And and people think that's OK. You're done. But there should be some backing of, well, why? Why didn't you like it? And I'm certainly of the, the school of thought where you can't really criticize something unless you've taken it in completely. As I've said many times before, there is no way I was going to not watch all eight seasons of Weeds because I needed to make sure I could tell people why is some of the worst writing and television ever. But there's other people who would go, oh, I didn't like the first three episodes, so I'm just done and I'm going to say it's bad forever. It's a very different level of, of hate for something or dislike, I should say. Yeah. And, I, I, and that's yes, because likes or, or critical being critical of something versus a reaction is two separate things. But it's just the idea that you have so many people out there that just, oh God, they're, they're they have an opinion and they're presenting it as a fact. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the thing that's bothering me. It's the idea that like, oh, I have an opinion. 
either intentionally or unintentionally, it's a fact. Mm. And that sort of stuff, I just like it, it makes me recoil. It makes my blood boil because again, going back to the Rise of Skywalker box office story, is that in the last couple of days, I was. Um, I, I, again, somebody, somebody. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're prominent because I hate YouTube Star Wars so much. <laughs> but I'd seen them like like other people that I follow on Twitter. And Twitter's a cesspool, folks. Uh, disc, that's where discourse goes to die is Twitter. But this person posted something about the Rise of Skywalker's box office because one of my favorite all time personalities when it comes to box office stuff is Scott Mendelson of Forbes. Um, Scott Mendelson is fantastic when it comes to box office analysis. I know I posted some of his stuff in the Facebook group, and people are like, What does he mean? The Rise of Skywalker is a disappointment. And I'm like, You got to, when it comes to subjective opinions about like art and media, you got to ignore Scott. Again, he's entitled to his opinions. He is a, a film reviewer after all. But like, I look at him for his analysis of the numbers. I don't look for his opinion on whether the actual media is good or bad. And unfortunately, because he is somebody in the media, he blends those together and you have to learn to kind of pull them apart when he does it sometimes. He posted this story that, the, I think he titled it, The Rise of Skywalker is the First Billion Dollar Disappointment. So of course, it brings out of the woodwork. This, it's, it's a new, much like in the uh, uh, Star Wars survey episode where we had all these classifications of Star Wars fans. We've got a new one now. We have the Rise of Skywalker zealots. Okay. These are people that I don't know if they love the Rise of Skywalker, but they definitely like it. And they refuse to admit any sort of criticism of it. They refuse, like, if you start criticizing the film, they go, I don't want to say ballistic, but they get really uptight. And so this person wrote on Twitter, and they have a sizable following. It's it's not exactly like some guy in his basement. He has a couple thousand followers. And I think he's I think he probably has at least a few thousand YouTube subscribers. Mm-hmm. And he writes, Forbes should probably release that writer who considers one billion dollars to be a disappointment. We get it, Scott. A space movie that made a billion dollars didn't do it for you. Adults are strange sometimes. And it's like, A, why are you making the person anonymous if you're going to name them? <laughs> that's yeah, just that's me. To say, yeah. um, I, I don't get that either. But it's this thing that showed up a lot on Twitter recently and on all social media when it came to the rise of Skywalker is that after roughly a month of release, it finally made it into the billion dollar club. And that's by gross. And so I kept seeing all these stupid replies and comments of, I wish I was a billion dollar disappointment. And it's like, Again, going back to the beginning of this episode, I'm like, again, blood boils. Everybody knows my affinity for the box office. And that's just one of those things where it's like, I have such a deep understanding of this. I cannot bite my tongue because it's not an opinion. You can't argue when it comes to numbers, there's no such thing as an opinion. You can eventually pull a, your conclusion can be your opinion, but you can't just say a number is good because you subjectively like it. Yeah, exactly. And so I replied to this person and I said, again, I, I'm, I'm unlike Mr. Dillywood, I am very objective. And I say, I get your point, but a film's box office has to be analyzed on both an absolute and relative level. On absolute level, Rise of Skywalker will make a profit. It will. I, I stand by that to this day. Yet relatively, it's a disappointment to Disney. A film touted as the last of a saga should have outperformed its middle chapter. Mm-hmm. This is the response I got. And Rob, I have to ask you again, you've known me for a while. So I, I, but I know you also can be very objective and critical of me when you want. Based on what I read, read you, 
Does that come across as uh, inflammatory or pointed in any way? I would say no. You'd say that's rather measured and level-headed, right? Yeah, yeah. As far as, you know, responses on the internet go, absolutely. But in general, yeah. I mean, I I, I can't think of a way how you could have made it any more, you know, kind of... Um, Diplomatic. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. All right. This is the response I got back. Should have. You're shooting all over the place, bud. I think the expectation game on what these films ought to do destroys the fun of the saga. Get out of the minutia. What? I'm going to read that one more time <laughs> Should have You're shooting all over the place bud I think the expectation game on what these films Ought to do destroys the fun of the saga Get out of the minutia I, I don't I don't think that's minutia That's how Like you said your knowledge of it And I, everybody's understanding should be If you're making you know sequels and stuff like that You, you would want them to outperform That's not minutia That's, that's how they're thinking the, Pleasing the shareholders Upward growth, right? Yep. And I responded with, it's not an issue of should-haves. Disney is not in the business of having diminished returns on their properties. Yeah, if yeah. One is to, if one is to understand Star Wars in every facet, understanding how its parent company operates is part of that puzzle now. And yet, you have these... Again, I don't want to use the word deranged. But you've got these people that, A, are they lash out immediately. Mm-hmm. And Another can, reaction, yeah. It's it's a reaction, and the fact that I'm getting accused of should haves. I use the word should, and you don't know anything about this. You see the word billion, and your brain shuts off. And mm -hmm. and what point did, do I say that by looking at the box office, you can't enjoy yeah. a movie? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that just again the Star Wars fandom. A lot of people are diagnosing the people who don't like the Rise of Skywalker. The film critics are diagnosing as to what killed the Rise of, or Episode Nine for them is Disney trying to appease everybody. But it's these fans, like these. I, I honestly, I know it sounds horrible to say this, and maybe I don't mean this, but I don't know how to phrase it any better. But like, you're really, you're getting to the point where you start to hate Star Wars fans. And not all of them, but these ones that just refuse to ever listen to reason. Sure. They're so I mean, I know Mr. Mr. Dillywood says that I, I have to be right hundred percent of the time. And that's not true at all. I'm the first person to to listen to a, a reason a level-headed criticism. Like that's all I want is people to have level-headed criticism. It's these takes like you can't because that if you start analyzing these films, you're ruining the fun of it. If you can't analyze something you love, then clearly you don't love it. If you love something, you have to accept every aspect of it for better or for worse. If, if you can't wrap your head around that as a concept, then you really should have to go back to the table and understand how the world operates. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, I think it goes back to, you know, the, what I was saying with the criticism versus reaction and how it's almost tied into or hearing something dissenting it's just human nature for people tie that into almost like a personal attack like i know i've i've experienced it with other people when i tell them that i can't stand any of the jurassic park movies and they it's like i'm i'm destroying them when i say that you know the first jurassic park is a stupid concept and it's about how we need to have children 
and they it's like they're destroyed. And I'm the same way. I, I'll admit it. You know, when I there's been some people I've shown under the Silver Lake to, and I'm like upset because they didn't. I feel like they didn't think about it. But at the end of the day, I'm totally fine with saying, okay, they didn't like it. I'm still gonna watch it. You know, as much as I do and love it. And that's what I think more people need to to realize or, or maybe calm down about is that it's not always personal attacks. I don't think it's an idea of calming down. And I know folks, it's get, this is getting philosophical to the point of no return, <laughs> but it's the idea that I don't think it's calming down. I think it's realigning your focus. It's that like enthusiasm. Like, I think Rob and I have said it numerous times, like enthusiasm is contagious. Like I never want to see anybody's enthusiasm for anything die down, but to be malicious and vindictive with that enthusiasm. Yes. That's toxic. And even if it's in the pursuit of loving something, it's like the people that, that the sycophants for the, the uh, Avengers series of films that like, if you say anything negative about it, they start lashing out. And it's like, then clearly if you can't handle criticism for something you love, then you don't love it. And I know going back to Mr. Dillywood's uh, review of me, it's, uh, should I read that, Rob? Should, should I read that? Just I, I keep referencing it, but should I read it just to sit there, just so everybody knows what I'm talking about? People who don't have iTunes. Yeah, it's yeah. Your your review, like like you said earlier, it's pointed at you. So uh, if my, he wants yeah, you to go for it. Yeah, see, see Mr. <laughs> Dillywood, it's it's my it's my review. I yeah, see, I, I take, mean, and I think that would be good. There was something in that review I wanted to touch upon. So if you read it all, we could probably get to it. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm going to do that right now because I think it does it does come to a point as to why I think this podcast is something different than everything else that's available in the uh, Star Wars uh, commentary community. So, all right. So the, the title of the review is Annoying One-Star Review from Mr. Dillywood or Ms. Dillywood. We don't want to misidentify, mis misgender them. <laughs> yeah, I, at the same time, though, I think a, wom a woman this, – this is, this is too ineloquent for a woman. Women are better than this. Um, I have tried so hard to enjoy this podcast, but I just can't. The main host, Zach, complains for 80% of every episode, and when someone disagrees with him, he's never wrong or tries to see their perspective. I get that everyone has their own opinion on what is good and what is bad, but Zach sounds like a five-year-old when he doesn't get his cookie after dinner when they discuss a topic he disagrees with. I get the vibe that he goes into anything Star Wars related looking for things to dislike rather than just sit back and enjoy it. If he wasn't on the show, this podcast would be enjoyable for me. And you said it was one star, right? You got oh, yeah, one star. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which is the lowest you can give, I believe, yes, right? Yes, you can't, you can't give anything less than that. <laughs> okay, okay. The thing I wanted to hit on is the... I know it's this is very Star Wars-centric, of course, for the content of the podcast. Um, but the idea of going into anything and looking for things to dislike about it, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think that's... It's my personal opinion, of course, but that is infinitely better than going into things and just being like, I'm going to like this. I Every time I sit down and watch something, I'm usually like, okay, this is going to suck. This is going to be a waste of my time. But I'm choosing to sit through it because I need to experience it. And it, it just seems kind of uh, naive to some extent to be like, oh boy, here's, here we go. Another two hours of my life. It's going to be great. Because you're just going to build yourself up and let it fall down. I would rather look for things to dislike because then that's something that at least is going to cause you know discussion around it i don't know if i would phrase it exactly that way i think maybe a way to much like the, the go into mr dillywood's complaints with me i would i would like to refine that a little bit i think it's the idea of it's critical analysis it's yeah. not that you go in wanting to dislike it though but you want to analyze it you just don't want to consume it at a superficial level 
And that's, that's what this podcast was always designed to be. It's the notion of we're not just going to sit there, eat this stuff up like a Big Mac, and then crap it out and wait for the next one. That's not yeah. what this is. This podcast is ever going to be. If it ever gets to that point, there's going to be no, no more Knights of Vader podcast. Yeah. And I think that's that's why we do. Everybody here does get along so well, whether it be uh, Jim, uh, Russ, Zenger, all of us. It's the idea that like we want to analyze this stuff. We just don't want to just hit us and like, okay, that's it. And I think that's the thing. Is like, I, I really wish iTunes would let you respond to these mm-hmm. reviews. I'm not saying you go on like a three-page like reply to this person, like back and forth, like a thread. Like, like, but much like Google reviews or Yelp, the administrator has the ability to respond once. Yeah, I like a rebuttal because the thing is that clearly this person doesn't understand the idea of critical analysis. Is that you do want to sit there delve into something, and I find it fascinating that when most people do compliment the podcast, they always like how measured it is, and that it is a fair take on both sides. Like I think clearly, my my analysis on this review is this person r- listened to the Mandalorian reviews and then just t- tuned out after that. I thought the same thing, and I know we've talked about it off air, but it's like I I, I think the last episode I, I listened to before I read that review or saw that review was you being like the rise of Skywalker is great. Let's laugh about it for three hours on this podcast and talk about, you know, how it's, it's goofy. It's fun. It's all those types of things. Yeah. And even, and one thing I have to go back and listen to uh, the, the chapter seven, eight episode of the Mandalorian that we did because we had this review from Mr. Dillywood. And then on top of that, I, I got emails from people, one of them being Scott E. Rob knows all about Scott. E. Oh, yes. And I also got one from Gus who, who sends, sends me emails all the time in the Knights of Vader Gmail account. And both of them were like, Oh, you're being like, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but they're like, you're being overly negative. And it's like, I'm not being overly negative. I'm being critical, but only because I'm holding it to a, I'm holding it to a high standard. You, yeah. Like I, it's not my cup of tea. Am I supposed to sit there? Just say, you know what? I don't like this, but everybody else who does is correct. Like and that's the weird yeah. thing is that in this review, this person criticizes me for having having a absolute opinion, then goes on to write an entire paragraph having an absolute opinion on me. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing from the guy on Twitter. It's these all these people that sit there. It's the pot calling the kettle black. Yep. Yep. And that's the yep. one thing I do want to kind of point out too that like this is the kind of, this is the only part of the review that bothers me because at the end of the day I, I don't care folks um, I'm kind of, like when I read the review for the first time I was actually kind of giddy reading it because it delights me to no end that I clearly pissed this person off um, whatever I said must have been so profound that it just drove this person up a freaking wall <laughs> um, I, I find that very empowering that somebody got that frustrated with me but going to like got E and uh, Gus. It's that if you, how I've ended every single episode of the podcast now for almost three years, if I say something you don't like, please, I I give you more than enough ways to contact me. Like I've talked to people on, on uh, Instagram, on Twitter, on email, if the Facebook group being the obvious example, like the big joke now in the Facebook group is that like anytime somebody sees an article or something about Zach, they're like, oh, I know Zach would have opinions on this and in narrator's voice. Zach did indeed have opinions on it. And, and it's true. It's like if, if I ever say something that's controversial to you or you think I'm wrong, dear Lord, challenge me on it. Push back. I, I love that. Like, put, tell me I'm wrong. 
don't tell me my opinion. Don't tell me like the concept of me having a negative opinion is wrong, like Mr. Dillywood did, but just tell me why my specific opinion is wrong. Push back. Mm -hmm. Make me like anything else in life. The only way you can refine your arguments and make them stronger is if somebody constantly challenges them. And I love that. If, if you think I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. And we'll have a fun back and forth. It's happened a couple of times in the last month. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to try to convince you the other way or the other way around. You're going to convince me, though. But you know what? We strengthen our arguments that way. Yep. And that's what we do on the podcast. If it was just a bunch of people talking about how much they love Star Wars for two hours, it would get boring really quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the refinement of my idea where, you know, you go in looking for things to, to critique, to analyze. And, and you know, that's, that's just as well as going and loving it and, you know, going in to hate it and type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe, maybe Dillywood meant instead of Zach, they meant me because I wholeheartedly, you know, I know the review <laughs> came before, but like I sat down and when I had to watch the Mandalorian, and I have to, you know, of course, but as I told, you know, it was picked by someone else and I went into it like, oh my God, I'm going to hate this. I didn't want to see episode nine. I was like, man, oh, this is going to be terrible. Even the stuff I love, I go into and I'm like, this is going to be terrible, right? I'm going to waste my time. And it's almost like that's just me. And it's better when I find something I like. But it's all those levels. Just be comfortable with it that people have these different takes on things. And then, like Zach said, you know, if you think something's wrong or something is misstated, push back on it, you know, not with a personal attack, but with your own critique of that opinion. It's only going to make things stronger. Indeed. And I just, and this one final point about Mr. Dillywood was that um, if you go on iTunes, and uh, the actual like iTunes web program, like, computer program, not like the phone or anything. You can click on a person's username and see what other like other reviews they've left other people. Mm -hmm. um, they left another review for another podcast <gasps> saying, um, I, I uh, saying, about this. <laughs> saying something I, again, I'm paraphrasing, but I think you're gonna get the gist of it really easily. This podcast should die. Yep. So um, if somebody is writing reviews of other podcasts with with uh, statements like this should die. Clearly, this person is not as balanced as they think they are. Yeah, that, that's a great example of a reaction rather than a criticism. Yes. And I really wish iTunes would kind of remove stuff like that. Because that's not, that's not an opinion. Saying you want, some, saying you want a, a thing of commentary by other people to die. Like, I'm not even talking about like on threatening grounds. Like, no, I'm not even looking at that. But that's not criticism, though. That's not a review saying you like, it's kind of like going to McDonald's and you eat like a, like a, a wilty uh, thing of French fries and a cold hamburger. And you're like, I want this place to die. <laughs> and that's, that's not really a review or criticism. It's more of a very morbid, like macabre statement. Yes. It, it's, it's more like a macabre non sequitur. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's just my final thing that clearly Dillywood's insane. I don't hold, I, I do not put anything in their opinion whatsoever. Clearly they should not be let out of the house, but <laughs> that's, that's up to whoever, uh, uh, they live with. So more, you know what, more power to them. I just wish they could refine their arguments as well as I do. Yep. Yep. All right, Rob, as we conclude this episode of Knights of Vader, Colin Madman Trevorrow's episode nine, part one. Any parting words for the Knights of Vader audience until you're on for the inevitable next episode? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think we hit everything. Um, uh, I guess I would say, you know, uh, if anyone has not seen the Book of Henry, definitely check it out. It is uh, an interesting watch. 
Uh, like we, like Zach said, we might get to it one day on this podcast, and I look forward to it. A certain a, fourth uh, day of the month. Yes, as a uh, possibly, you know, that event yearly, maybe monthly, maybe weekly. Uh, <laughs> I can only hope mo- weekly. Yes, there is a, a lot to dissect with that movie. But no, uh, as we do, we got philosophical. I think that's only a, that's par for the course now. Um, sorry if you missed out on your soundboard clips this week. Uh, but, you know, we like to change it up here on the Knights of Vader. Or at least Zach does. <laughs> Indeed I do. Indeed I do. And when I'm not uh, hosting this podcast, I am eating cookies to pacify myself when people have alternate opinions of me. Yeah, cookie. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that was uh, the part that made me laugh about that review. And I was like, I know, Zach, it's not cookie after dinner. It's cookie for appetizer, cookie for the entree, <laughs> cookie for the dessert. The salad that he eats is just cookie crisp, the cereal. <laughs> With other cookies put on top of it. Little do you know, folks, that when Rob and I record podcast stuff for uh, Cinemodies, I have a box of cookies. I'm just shoveling into my... Rob's like, Zach, I don't like men, women, and children. And there's like a long pause. He's like, are you still there? And I'm like, oh, go, go, go. So I'm trying to quickly like eat through all the cookies to pacify myself. So I feel like, no, Rob, you're wrong. This is brilliant. That, oh, that's a, that's a good example of what we were talking about with the criticism versus reaction. Like our discussion with men, women, and children, where you were like, this is fantastic. And I was like, this is terrible. We don't need a movie to tell us to be good to our children. It's offending me. And we both have arguments. And even though to this day we disagree with each other on it, that's kind of the end of the story. You know, we're always going to be steadfast in our opinions. Men, women, and children from Rob. Zach, it's a horrible movie. My opinion on men, women, and children. Yes, it's a horrible movie. That's why it is great. (laughs) <laughs> no i check out I, the we have a whole episode i on that took the lump of out. i took the lump of coal and made it into a diamond i have the diamond he has the lump of coal you decide which one's better um <laughs> all right so concludes this episode of the knights of vader a star wars podcast check out the facebook group type in knights of vader into facebook and chances are you'll find us look for us on instagram kov podcast I'm sorry, at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. Gus, I got you in this episode, Gus. You know, poor Gus. Gus sent me an apology email. He's like, I'm sorry for making fun of you for having bad opinions. I'm sorry. I'm like, Gus, I'm busy. It's not because I don't want to respond or because I think your tone is wrong. I love you, Gus. Keep sending me emails, Gus. I love getting 3 a.m. emails from you. (laughs) Um, If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. But please don't tell us to go die. Thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. You are welcome. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. Knights of Vader t-shirts available. Check the show notes where you can click. $22 gets you a very unique looking t-shirt. And thank you to all who have already purchased one. Remember, folks, remember Alderaan, Past Meets Present, VHS Stack, the Clone Wars logo, the holiday special logo <laughs> can all be yours for the low, low price of $22, including shipping. For questions, comments, concerns, or snipe remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter at Cinemodies, or you can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast with Mr. Rob, where we'll be discussing. I uh, forgot to ask Zach before we started recording when this is going to be released, but I'm just going to go for it because there's only one episode that we need to be discussing. Check out Cinemodities. For an in-depth essay on Gili, one yeah. of the strangest movies in existence. Did I get it right? <laughs> you did, Rob. You did. Okay, yes. So, if you want to know more about Gili than you have ever thought you could know, check out that episode. It is fantastic. 
It is. Uh, and I guess the final question to ask you, Rob, as we wrap up this episode, um, are we going to go to the Baywatch? Uh, I want to go to the Baywatch. Is it closed today? Does uh, your What does your flashlight say? I, I'm going to talk to it right now. Um, hold on. Uh, 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 oh, geez. Not again. Th- these guys, man. These guys. The Baywatch is closed today. <sighs> Just when you make big plans with your friends, they go and close the Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the Baywatch. Oh, God. Oh, the the Baywatch, everybody. The, the Baywatch. Baywatch. Not any Baywatch. Everybody has a Baywatch, but the Baywatch. One, the two, Baywatch. <laughs> All righty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, remember Alderaan, down with the Empire. And go to the Baywatch. <laughs>